Hey, I'm Michael. And I'm Michael's older sister, Madison. I'd give you a backstory, but it goes back like 25 years. Yeah. Um, but you'll probably hear plenty of childhood stories and anecdotes as we go through the different topics that we speak on. I'm excited. Me too. You ready? Yeah. All right. All right. So just a quick disclaimer. Um, we are going to try not to get too, I guess you would say, political on the podcast. I mean, neither one of us really has much of interest in mainstream politics anyway. But in terms of uh, social issues and things like that, uh, we'd like to consider it um, a safe space or whatever you want to call it. You know, like we don't hate anyone for being different and we're a little different ourselves, you know? Yeah. Um, but if we say anything that maybe gets close to a line, triggers anyone, um, <clears throat> anything that might be considered uh, politically incorrect that we might not realize yet, please feel free to let us know. And we'll do our best to do better. Now, uh, so recently, my wife and I, uh, we went to New Orleans. We had to take her uh, her mom and her stepdad to the airport. And they had this uh, immersive Van Gogh that they had set up right. at this old, uh, like, Irish uh, Rite church. or I can't remember what it was called. But... We decided to spend the night there and then go and do that the next morning and then, you know, kind of go around New Orleans after that, little shops and everything, right? Right. So, when we got there that night, and you know about this, um, there were these record players. You know, it's a little shotgun house, so it was it's pretty cool, you know. They have these, uh, like, the fake stained glass windows and stuff, you know, and uh, I think the door was, like, purple. So, you know, you walk in and in the front room... There's this baby blue record player and a bunch of records. I never got to that because oh. after you walk through and past the bedroom in the room where the dining room is or where the dining table is, um, was what I was showing you. They had that crushed velvet orange suitcase record player. Yeah, that mustard yellow one. Yeah, with the uh, with all the records, right. you know, and they had the records like most people do in the milk crates or whatever. Um, where you kind of got to try to hope you'll, hope you put it back down right. Um, which kind of added to the mystery, like, what record am I about to pull out? But at the same time, it can be kind of inconvenient when they're all packed in there because you can't flip through them. Um, but anyway, so many different records, you know what I mean? Um, like, I showed you where they had the rumors from Fleetwood Mac, right. you know, so that's like so many hits on that album. Um, they had some Creedence Clearwater, jazz bands. I think I told you they even had, like, a Bill Cosby stand-up record, which was really weird. Yeah, I don't... Maybe they didn't know it was the They either didn't know, or they just are a collector. Because that's, yeah. that's what I was getting, was... It might had... actually be an interesting topic. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they were, like, a super fan of Bill Cosby, because there were plenty of those. I loved Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. There's still part of my heart that's, like, for the character Bill Cosby... For Bill Huxtable? Yeah, like, well... His or Cliff Huxtable. Thank you. Yeah. But, and, and, um, <laughs> Bill kids say the darndest things, Bill Cosby. Yeah. But the things that Bill Cosby did. For the entire time he was doing that is the crazy part. Right. It was like for 40 years. So I wonder if this person may be a, a fan. Mm -hmm. And now that he has been taken out of prison. 
Because he's not in prison anymore. Yeah, there was like overcrowding or some shit. And he was just so. like, I'm going to sneak this back in here. And somebody's going to hear about the pudding yeah. pops. You know what I'm saying? Now, I think they are from... I think they they might be from like a Balkan state or something like mm-hmm. like a like a Slavic state, um, just based I can't remember so what their name know. was. They might not know, but at the same time, I think that it was some of the stuff might just be for like I don't want to say decoration, but maybe like maybe like yeah, in the ambiance because they also had books and books that had like differing opinions on uh, the same event and stuff like that. So and some of them were. They had two or three of the same book. So I think they might have just gone to a record store and filled up a bin and put it down. That might be or why they got have... it from, like, Goodwills and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe that's why they have two record players, you know what I mean? For... Right. So it might just be for the for the ambiance of the Airbnb. Because if those records really meant that much to them, you're trusting other people with these records. That's kind of crazy. You really, know what though, I mean? the, the um, baby blue, though, the baby blue one, mm-hmm. I feel like it's okay. Like, all there was up there was a bunch of Action Bronson records. Oh, no. <laughs> it was just one song. It's baby just blue. a bunch of baby blue on 45. Yeah. That's all. Or the baby blue. Yeah. You can only play baby blue on the baby blue. Exactly. That that song, killer song. And by mm-hmm. the way, Action Bronson can have my heart. You know, he had a show. Yeah. Those stupidest TV shows. Because I used it was to pass... Good. It was good. But I used to pass by it on the channel guide years ago just thinking... Because, you know, they say, like, Courtney Cox drinks Neutrogenics or whatever like that. So I'm passing by and I'm just halfway reading it. Action Bronson watches Ancient Aliens. I'm not really even thinking about it. Like, the first seven times I passed by it. Because they would just have the marathon... On what was it, Vice or Vox or whatever? I mean, think about how great that is. Like, I have enough money. We're going to sit in this fat-ass room. There's going to be a couch, a couple chairs. going to hit fucking dabs. Yeah, but not only that, on the back table is fucking catering. We're having barbecue today, boys. Like, that kind of thing. And it's like, everybody, y'all get up. And, like, action will just get up out of nowhere. They won't even hardly talk about the ancient alien shit half Mm -mm. the time. They get up out of nowhere, go to the back, make a sandwich. Bully body. You hear them like... Just eating, yeah. Like breathing and eating. I know. And But then the other one is uh, That's Delicious. I forgot. Yeah, fuck That's Delicious. That show show. was fabulous. Mm -hmm. That was a great show. And he really does know something. Mm -hmm. But back to the records, it um, it was a really cool experience. I ended up, like, barely even sleeping that night. I stayed up all night just looking through their records and being, like, seeing what I liked and what I didn't like. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, the Fleetwood Mac, so many hits on that one. But then there was, like, Men at Work, you know? And they had uh, Down Under and Who Can It Be Now? But other than that, I didn't really like the album. Right. So while I'm doing this, I... That night was when I started making a list. And it was funny because it was almost like I stole your Christmas idea. Because you saw the record player and you picked it, you know, you heard the music and stuff like that. And I think it just triggered something. And you'd well, be it's like, like you've stolen I my, want that you've shit. You've stolen my entire vibe at this point. I Just with a different color palette, basically. Yeah, I'm basically you, but more red and purple. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's like... When you look at us and and our you know our aesthetics and what our interests interests are, mm-hmm. um, like our special interests, yeah. Which one of us is the is the record collector? 
Me? No. Both of us, I think. Because I'm, I'm the hyper-fixated right, Yeah, person. sure, in our own rights, but you're yeah. going after my shit. You're going after Seals and Crofts and, and rumors and all these different things. You know we things. had the same dad, right? We have the same we dad. We grew up listening to sure. the same music in sure. the same car on but. the same vacations. <laughs> but I had a special interest in it. And yeah. you had your dick up Journey's ass. So you were like 80s... Back then, like you were all about the eighties. I remember this. I'm yeah. your older sister. I liked eighties, and I was 80s. I was infatuated from a very young age in the sixties and the seventies. Yeah, and so when you went to this place that is totally my my kind of vibe, except you hate then, the idea of a shotgun house. And yes, that seems ridiculous. Somebody has to go through my bedroom to get something to eat. Yeah, that means you can, Michael. You would hate it too. Guess why? Because you literally have to keep the entire house clean at all times. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's awful. But, but when you're sweeping, just sweep it all up front where the dustpan's waiting. You can just one one path. No, because you, <laughs> have, you literally have, unless the door is as wide as the room is, yeah. you literally have to go through rooms. <laughs> so you have to go around furniture the whole time yeah. to like sweep it out the front door. So this one went living room, bedroom. Also, where are you hiding? Dining room, kitchen. If somebody breaks into your house... And then the bathroom is behind the kitchen. Um, I'm running to the bathroom in that place because there's this big-ass fucking step down that I almost broke my fucking ankle on. So I am going to hop across and to the left over the corner, right? Because they don't know. And then they will fall. That's and break their leg. And then I come out with a plunger. Okay. Put it over their face. Sure. And put then, it over their face. I was thinking, beat them with it, right? But then I'm like, man, that might not work. So You're I just put gonna it over like their face them and just highly like, uncomfortable. I'm going to <laughs> take their breath away. I'll just like plunge it on their face until it sticks yeah. and just hold it there yeah. and fucking suffocate them. Yeah. But anyway, so Madison was texting me because I was texting a group chat. It was her and and our parents, and she just kept saying, "Steal that for me. I want that. I want you to steal that record player and those records and bring them home." Like, for me. Yeah, and then she said, well, now I know what I want for Christmas. And I was like, well, shit. I want the same thing. So, so now, now I, have, I can't have anything. I can't have anything for she myself. She can't have anything for herself, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So, but I don't want I don't want crushed velvet mustard yellow. So, you can get that for you. Um, or, or I'll, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm getting it for her. She knows that I'm getting her a record player for Christmas. She just doesn't know what it's going to look like yet. Um, but, and, uh, so I had this list. I started making it that night. Um, and I think it started with, I found this, uh, Sting record and it was like his second solo album and there wasn't a single hit on it. Like none of the shit on the album is anything you've ever heard on the radio or anything. And it was also the only record I put on so far that didn't have the, any, wobbliness to it because a lot of these records if they've either been warped or they're old they haven't been taken care of very well they probably went through hurricane katrina yeah or whatever it is the i don't know how a record could last in new orleans as is it is a it is a hot humid mess over there i think she's a new she's probably a new person living in new orleans you know, found this place, bought one half of it, and, and rinsed the other half out. But, like, I think that 
you're probably right. If someone did live in New Orleans, it would be tough to take care of your records. But some of these records, um, you know, they would have like the random pitch changes and stuff. Like you were fucking right. around with a switch on a keyboard, you know. So all of a sudden, Stevie Nicks is a fucking baritone for half a second. But the Sting record didn't have any of that. It was the one record I put on so far that had this like perfect crisp sound and plus it's Sting's voice and the and that the the ambiance of of his music and stuff like that. So I'm sitting there I've never heard any of these songs before and I think that was the album and it had to do with the fact that it was the first clean listen. What year? I think it was probably like 87. Oh, 80s? Oh, Something the like 80s? That. Yeah. Oh, the 80s? Get off my shit. Okay, who listens to 50s music? Not you, me. I'm Not the, me. I'm the one out here listening to fucking Buddy Holly and shit like that. What? What kind I'm of? I'm listening to fucking Billy Holiday. I'm like way beyond your time. I'm in the 40s too. Okay. But I have this. So that's. I think that's when I started my list, right? And it's just really fun. But speaking of the Bill Cosby thing, that's become an issue. Is for example, right? We all know Eric Clapton is kind of being a dick recently. Not we all know. I don't know anything. Oh, well, he's... Being a dick recently? Being, him and Van Morrison are, are just being dicks. About their music or... It's not... It's not. No, it's not a musical thing. It's like a... a... Political thing? Yeah. All right. So I don't want to get yeah, too, yeah. Much, too gotcha. far into it, you know. I mean, it's also a health thing, but any anyway. Right. Um, Just being kind of ridiculous and so that made me not like him plus it was like well i mean all the best fucking eric clapton songs are probably by bob marley anyway because <laughs> it's kind of like you know Jimi hendrix and bob dylan kind of traded their shit back and forth those two did the same thing but then it was like well shit someone told me when i said um i said it in like a chat room or or, or no it was like a uh tiktok live i was like hey, i'm starting a record collection someone was like Cream better be on that on that list. I was like, they're not it's yet. It's not a grocery list. And I was like, what album? <laughs> <laughs> and they they said uh, something like Disrael is like Israel, but with like a, the letter in front of it. I can't remember. It's like Disrael something. Someone will know what I'm talking about because it had some of some of Cream's hits on it, right? And it was like, like Disrael. Yeah, but like it's literally just Israel, but with a D in front. And then I can't remember what the next word was. But so I looked into it and I was like, oh, that's a pretty good track list. You know, maybe I can get over him being a dick because this is kind of cool. But then I, you know, I looked him up and I was like, what else has he done? Just to make sure. Because I am, I do not believe in separating the art and the artist. A lot, some people do. I'm not into it because it's like, no. Because the same brain that made this song said those things and did those actions. You know what I mean? Not so it's always. Like, Listen, now who you're talking about, yes. Mm-hmm. But even still, when you look into it, mm-hmm. a lo- there was a lot of collaboration. There's that too. But I will say, in newer artists, there is a lot less uh, collaborating and there's a lot less songwriting of the artists themselves. The artists yeah. themselves have become a celebrity. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So they become a celebrity. Somebody else writes all their music. Somebody else does all these things for them. And then they just get out there and they sing because they have that ability. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So 
in cases like R. Kelly, I can't say whether he wrote them or not. I have not looked it up. Please do not quote me on anything. But if he did... He wrote a lot of that shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he wrote a lot of that shit, or we think he did because of what it said. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know so that... So you can't, you can't yeah. say he wrote it. He could have collaborated with somebody, mm-hmm. or his production company or whatever could have said, here's a song written for you, yeah, right? But- so, so the thing is, is not always, but yes. Mm-hmm. But like when he's singing it... At least, you know, when R. Kelly is singing these songs about bumping and grinding and my mind is telling me no and song I'm fucking you tonight and shit like that, like, in his brain, even if he didn't write it, he is singing and thinking about, like, a 14-year-old girl. Right. And it's just like, so I can't listen to I can't listen to Ignition well, okay, Remix let me, or any of that shit. Let me give you a little, little something on Michael Bolt here. Why I said your last name. Now, the feds are going to come <laughs> get me now. But let me tell you something about Michael in general. He will get a piece of information, and it, as long as it is true, one solid, one piece of information, one thing somebody did, even if their entire record is clean, they do one thing that is anywhere close to connected to their personality or what he believes their lifestyle is at that point because of that one fact, he will shut it down. It's commendable. A lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people are not like, let me hear that this person fucking did anything wrong. Yeah. Or anything against anybody that was different than him or her. Yeah. And I am fucking done with them forever. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Because a lot of people, they isolate art which is why they say separate the art and the artist but it's like okay but people only say separate the art and the artist when the artist did something bad you know what i mean it's like well i like the song but i don't like the guy so separate but when like but when they're a good person that makes good music you don't want to separate the art and the artist because you want to give that artist all the credit in the world i know i know, you know? but here's you some people might look into your lifestyle in that one area mm-hmm and say you have completely isolated yourself from so much and you would say obviously I don't want to be connected to that bullshit. Well it's also But hold on. Yeah. But let's say you're watching Matilda, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say half the songs all of a sudden are made by pedophiles. You find out they're perverts, yeah. And now fuck. I yeah. can never watch Matilda again? No, cuz here here's what I'm going to say. I do have especially speaking of Matilda I have little exceptions here and there. That's what I'm saying. Separate because, the art from the artist. Well, there's that, but there's also... Because if, if the if the artist, let's say the artist is the director of the movie. Yeah. Um, and his people or he chose the soundtrack to this movie, mm-hmm. then he indirectly yeah. is connected to the artist of these songs who is a piece of shit. So yeah. now the director is a piece of shit. Because he enjoys that, and he chose that, and that lives on in his legacy because this movie exists. Well, I don't know. Like, I don't think that would stop me from watching the movie. And I think, but like I'm saying, speaking of Raw Dahl, because he wrote Matilda, there's, like, little letters and stuff and things that he's said and written. But again, he died a long time ago. He was 
alive a long fucking time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when he was writing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which, by the way, they've never made a sequel movie, even though Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, it could be a sci-fi hit. They're literally flying through space fighting aliens and shit. It's, it's crazy. They never made a movie out of it. I don't think it would be a hit. But, anyway, so, he, he was actually kind of an anti-Semite. But if you look back on when he was alive, and this doesn't... I'm not saying it's okay. A lot of people were anti-Semites. Not okay. I know that. But that's the other thing. But it's you've like you've made it, an exception for it I have made an exception childhood. because because it was so very So then you have to be understanding of somebody saying... Like, say... And none of it was in the book. I either. was stuck in a place where R. Kelly meant something to part of my life as far as mm-hmm. a Greatest Hits album... Or whatever the the greatest hits album that Dad had, right? Yeah. And he got it because I I believe I can fly, mm-hmm. and I went ham on that album. And let's say that stuck in my memory, just like Raw Doll is for you. Mm-hmm. I'm a piece of shit for wanting to listen to those songs, because I separated the art from the artist. Well, I think the different there's a little bit of a difference for me, and I think it is because. For one, like I said, back then, and again, I'm not saying it was okay. And it wasn't like he, I don't think he really said much of like, I like Hitler and we should exterminate Jews or anything like that. It was just, he had some reactionary opinions, right? Which isn't, it's not a good thing. Yeah. But it also wasn't. As far as I know, unless it was very um, covert to the part where I didn't read it, it wasn't in the books, you know? I mean, some people might say The Witches. The book The Witches might be because it's the secret group of people okay. with big noses and they and they have a lot of influence on the world, All but right, nobody well, really okay. knows about it. But witches have big noses, you know what I mean? That's just what a witch right. is. Bill Cosby's comedy. Did it have anything to do with him... Giving pills to well, women and all that stuff. Here's the other thing. I think that's I think that's it's a perfectly not... acceptable uh, debate against that. Only because not everybody's R. Kelly and talks about wanting to do things with fourteen year olds. No, that's in their songs. true. But then when you listen to like the message Bill Cosby was trying to put out there, and you know what he did, you know some of it is bullshit. But the other thing about it is, at this point for me, it's not necessarily a decision. That I make. It's that I can't enjoy it anymore. It's not that I'm like, I'm sitting around like, damn, I really want to listen to Imagine or whatever it is, but John Lennon beat his wife. Fuck, I can't. It's more just like almost instinctive at this point. You know, like, oh, that person's yeah. an asshole. All right, I don't want to, I don't want to hear their voice. I like, kind of, I guess I kind of romanticize everything. Like, so the way that I do, the way that my brain takes it in mm-hmm. is... Oh, John Lennon beats his wife. I'm going to listen to Jealous Guy from that perspective now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to Jealous Guy with this reality that John Lennon beat his wife and then wrote this song. Where was he at? Why is he fucking nuts? And why would he ever put this out in, in the public eye? Mm-hmm. And And so I kind of look at it. It's almost like I'm able to give myself some sort of atmosphere in the moment. Right? No, no. Am I sitting there listening to Bump and Grind and thinking, 
Hmm. <laughs> like, no, no. And I really don't listen to but R. I, Kelly. I used to love uh, Ignition Remix, but oh, it's like, I can't enjoy here's it. Here's the problem. I can. Because it, 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 it came on the other day yeah. and I was like, but it has the, it has that nostalgic factor of riding yes. around in our in our sister's convertible after school. Yep. We listen to that. We would listen to um, I know mom. I think we listen to MC Hammer with mom. But there was also uh, I like big butts and I cannot that lie. That was Sasha. We listened to that with Sasha too. So stuff like that. It was just it has that nostalgic vibe of oh yeah. I remember being six listening to these songs that I probably shouldn't yeah. have been listening to. But knowing who the person is, it's it's more of like a, I don't even necessarily feel like I'm taking like a principled stance. Like I don't like to see it because I'm not a hero or anything because I don't listen to this music. It's more just like, I don't like that person. I don't want to hear their voice. No, see, I think. Because now I hear like, their voice and I'm, I'm like, saying, oh, fuck this guy. I don't want to listen to him That's what I'm saying. It's like commendable. You've always been that way. You've always been like a drop the mic kind of a person. Like where you're just like. No. And I've done it for my favorite musician sometimes. No, I know. Okay, that, that's the crazy this. part. It's like too easy for me at you, this point. You enjoy some rappers yeah. that have literally murdered other people. Like who? Like the Ice Cube and stuff like that. Like people like that from back in the 80s that and early 90s that actually had to survive on the street and kill people. Now you believe that murder's wrong. Eat, now... You have to look at it in a way where you're like, okay, murder is wrong. Because your brain goes, murder is wrong if it's the wrong person. Right? Yeah. And you believe if somebody needs to be killed, they need to be killed. If I see some dude beating his wife on the street and we end up, I, I confront him and the ensuing violence ends in his death, I wouldn't say that I did the wrong thing. Right. But what if it was just about drugs? Well, see, that's the thing is you don't know a lot of these rappers if they actually live that life. True. Or if they're just talking about like for Biggie, I feel like Ice Cube did. Like for example, Biggie Smalls didn't do any of that shit. I feel like Easy E, or no, Sugar, uh, Suge Knight. Suge Knight. I feel like very shady individual. I don't even want to say that out loud. Now he he's gonna show up at your apartment. He's big. He is. I think he's in prison right now. I can't remember, but I think he's in prison. He just we just hear a knock at the door. That's literally just nope, him in a jumpsuit. Not jump doing suit. that. But, like, Biggie, he actually, like, you listen to these songs, and it's like, uh, you know, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and talking about when I was a kid, I couldn't picture this. That's not verbatim. Don't kill me here, guys. But he, and talking about, like, he used to not get shit for Christmas and all the sort of stuff. But then when you actually find out about his childhood, he went to private school. He grew up in a whole other neighborhood away from all the drugs and crime and insecurity and stuff like that like he i don't want to say privileged but he grew up differently than what he rapped about he was just telling stories like like he was uh, another person drake yeah and drake barely writes any of his music so it's like you have no idea if they actually did those things or if they're just rapping about that kind of that kind of struggle Yeah, well, because of everything that they've heard. Yeah, everything they've heard. They're telling other people's stories. They push it onto some part of their life Mm -hmm. that was a struggle for them. Mm -hmm. And then if you say anything about it, they will be very defensive about that. Yeah. And uh, people in general are like that with everything. But, yeah, I understand. Let's get back to the records, though. So, yeah, the record players. But that came from me bringing up Eric Clapton because you look back on his track record and he actually admitted to raping a woman oh and that probably should have been the climax of what i was telling you because the other thing was he was out on stage one night 
and just went on this huge rant using a bunch of racial slurs and because <gasps> he's English and he was talking about how he doesn't want this type of person and this type of person in his country and we need to get him out wow. like super bad yeah, dude yeah. so then I was like and, and this is funny because I didn't know he was also the singer of this other band so I started looking at Oh, Derek and the Dominoes. That's a familiar name. And I, oh, Layla, stuff like that. And I was like, one of my friends had a Layla tattoo. And I thought he said something about Eric Clapton. But this is Derek, right? So then I look into Derek and the Dominoes. And it's Eric It's Clapton. fucking Eric Clapton. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want to listen to a rapist. You know, but again, I am a little bit of a hypocrite because I still like Raw Dahl. I'm going to read his books to my kids and stuff like that. Um, and Edgar Allan Poe was a little bit of a pervo. He didn't hurt anybody, but it was like, and again, how, when was he alive? Early 1900s, something yeah. like that. So again, this was back when a lot of these discussions weren't being had, um, about age of consent and stuff like that. He had a crush on his 14 year old niece. I can't remember if he ever got with her or not, but Telltale Heart is a banger. Like, that's the fucked part. So in some ways, I am a little hypocritical. Right. Um, But that's the thing about Edgar Allan Poe. He was a dark and twisted individual. So There's also stuff about that um, with the guy that wrote Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, if you go far back enough, then it's like, well, shit, I can't can't read anything. I can't listen to anyone. You know what I mean? Um, And that's what I mean, like... That's what I mean, like, as far as, like, because you'll do that, you do that with any kind of celebrity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in the limelight, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, in your own life, if you met somebody and they turned out to be a piece of shit, obviously you cut them off. But, like, for the most part, this has to do with celebrity status people because they're in the limelight and they do happen to be humans just like everybody else. Um, and for whatever reason, every now and then they uh, forget that they have a thousand people looking or millions of people looking at them and they just say whatever is at the top of their brain at that moment mm-hmm. and lose all kinds of fans and lose all kinds of support and respect because they wanted to put their opinion out there. Now as a human, you're allowed to have an opinion, mm-hmm. but you are going to ruin your career in a heartbeat saying something stupid. Yeah. Um and and uh, unfortunately that's the way it is, but unfortunately, there are people out there that have really crazy opinions about things or have done things that are not so great, but uh, anyway. Um, but even aside from that, it's still a long list. Like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to be missing out, you know, let's yeah, say I that. You. you know, like, I don't need, I don't need the Red Hot Chili Peppers records, you know what I mean? I don't need the Eric Clapton. It's hard, though, you know, man. It is, because I was even reading through Anthony Kiedis' Wikipedia trying, like, if I can find anything that's redeemable at all. Oh, wait, you wrote a book, and he talked about hooking up with that 14-year-old girl after finding out she was 14 and said that the song Catholic School Girls Rule was about her, and he's shown no remorse, and even in, like, 2013, he was dating a 19-year-old when he was in his fucking 40s or 50s. So it's just like, he's still like that. Like, here's he my, never here, changed. Let me get off. I'm going to... But even, even without that, it's just the... Here's, here's when I get, like, frustrated. Everybody is talking so much shit about Leonardo DiCaprio right now because mm. his cap off is 25 years old. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of funny. What's going to be okay for everyone? 
I'm yeah. not saying that as a 40-something-year-old man or however old he is now, that is, it's it's cool to date a 25-year-old. Yeah. Maybe to all his other friends that are his age, and it's rock star to have this young, hot girlfriend or whatever yeah. that's 25, 15-plus years your, um, what's the word? Senior. Yeah, you're, you know, but below. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but... We can't just keep sitting here and and shitting on. Like you have no evidence that he ever dated somebody that was a minor. No. But we're still gonna be up his ass and say, but his cap off's twenty five. So there's something See, wrong. I'm not with actually. I'm not actually in that camp. I mean, you no, can I know look at not. it. I was just yeah, yeah. like that got on my nerves the other day when it first started up. I was like, seriously, guys, like when are you gonna put a cap off on it? Like. Like, let's talk, hey, let's talk about, um, fucking Demi Lovato's ex-boyfriend, because he's, he keeps on doing the same things. Mm-hmm. He keeps on dating people that are that much younger than him. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can't say anything, can you, know, because they're not minors anymore. But you, like, if, if they were, if they were saying Leonardo DiCaprio was with somebody that was 20 years old, and it was only ever 20 year olds, that's one fucking thing. But a person that is 25 years old mm-hmm. is legally an adult and mentally somewhere along the lines of some kind of an but adult. But that's his cutoff, apparently. <coughs> I don't... See, and what's now, it matter? We can't go in the mind of Leonardo DiCaprio and he's like, oh, it's your 25th birthday. I can't date you anymore. Right. And the other thing is like, whatever the age gap is at that point, you can you can have your opinion about it. You know what I mean? And maybe it is a little strange. Well, we can't keep canceling but, but people. At, but at that point, that person is an adult and they can consent. You know what I mean? Like, the consent barometer doesn't always reset with an age gap. You know what I mean? Um, it just, uh, like you said, depends on when people meet. Like, when Dane Cook met a 15-year-old and then <coughs> married her... Or started dating her as soon as she turned 18, but probably was doing things before that. And now it's like their fifth anniversary and she's only 25. It's something crazy, right? But anyway, back to the records. We keep kind of getting off off track here. Um, Even with even disqualifying certain people, it's still a really long list. And it started with the Sting record because of that was the first one that was very crisp and just kind of filled the room with this vibe, you know what I mean? And I, um, when I was a kid, I played this game called Mafia 2, and it was based, like, I think in the 50s. I know about it. And there was a bunch of music on the radio from the 40s and 50s. You know, uh, was it Little Richard was his name, I think? Yeah. And, you know, like I said, Buddy Holly and uh, Louis Prima. Louis Prima was the guy... Uh, Every time it rains, it rains. Rains from the heavens. Shooby dooby. And he also did O Marie and uh fuck what's the other song? When you smiling, when you smiling, when you smiling. Like he did all sorts of shit. Like I wanna get records from him. And so it's very eclectic, you know what I mean? And then I had to talk with you. Um, because I was having this debate with myself as to whether it's okay or not um, to have newer albums on vinyl because it feels almost not real because it's like, really, Olivia Rodrigo gets vinyl? Olivia okay. Rodrigo's on a fucking LP? I think, it, I think it has to be tasteful, right? That's, that's so it, yeah, I tasteful. Don't, I, I think me and Michael might have the same amount of records. He might have more than me right now. 
Um, I got like seven. Okay, so we have roughly the same amount of records at the moment. I've had mine a little bit longer than he has had his, but we have the same amount of records. So you see where we differ. I kind of sit on things, and he launches himself into something if he likes it, right? If you haven't picked up on me by all the tangents I go on, I do have ADHD. Yes. One of the other symptoms of that is the hyperfixation. So as yeah. soon as it was like, I like listening to records, it was like, let me dive dick first into this and find out whose albums are on vinyl and right. if I can get them and how I'm going to categorize them and all that sort of stuff. So I have Carol King... Billy Joel, Seals and Croft. I want to get some James Taylors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Jason Mraz came out with his uh, Mr. A to Z, I believe. Or maybe maybe it was Waiting on My Rocket. Coming out with um, an album, a record from that album. Mm-hmm. Gonna have it. Like, will not not I think it has to be tasteful. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. No, do I? I think Olivia Rodrigo on vinyl is for a, a very specific person. I think it seems more like a decorative piece than anything else. I don't think it's worth a shit. Just like I've never liked the trend of of bands, local bands, or whatever else making cassettes because it's cool. Bitch, ain't nobody got a cassette player. But anyway, <laughs> all these people that are listening to Olivia Rodrigo, if they have a record player. They got it because it was trendy to have one, not because they are actually interested in any of that. Mm-hmm. So what what I think is I would actually probably have Baby Blue by Action Bronson on a record because that's fucking cool as shit, first of all. And secondly, I I really personally enjoy that song mm-hmm. and, and some of the words in it and all these sort of things and the way it was written, all this stuff. So I think it has fully to do with how... You know, you feel about an artist. So it's it's all up to whoever. So I can't really shit on somebody that might want the Olivia Rodrigo album. But I'm going to shit on myself. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> You're going like, to shit on yourself. I'm going to shit on myself, I guess, over here in my corner where they can't hear me and say, I think it's kind of stupid to get an Olivia Rodrigo album. Where they can't hear you shitting on yourself. Where they can't hear me shitting <laughs> on myself. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I would love, I think that records can be so pleasing to the eye as far as maybe having like a nice tall wood shelf or some sort of shelf. I mean, it doesn't even mm-hmm. have, I'm a wood girl, but you could have like a bright blue shelf. You could have a red shelf. It doesn't matter. But imagine flipping and then through someone's having... record collection and it goes, all right, uh, here's some Led Zeppelin and then, oh, there's Lizzo. Uh, that I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> when you walk into funny. a record store, that's what it is. You walk into a record store, it's an ABC order or it's yeah. in clearance. So you go through it, and I saw Seals and Cross, and then I saw Tupac. Now, Tupac, I could see that because, I mean, his last album that he put out when he was alive was in, like, 96. So right. vinyls were still sort of in circulation in the early to mid-90s, but... Also, like you know, like you said, yeah. it was cassettes and and, and later CDs. I really CDs. do. I do believe that records are put out nowadays as collector items. I don't believe they are necessarily. They don't make heavy presses. That's why you know there's the the Adele records that came out. Mm-hmm. She made a bunch because she knew they were going to sell out because they would be collectors items. Yeah, some of them like limited time collectors items, super expensive. Now and, Adele's one of those yeah. where it's like yes on record. I can see that. And I think that what we're getting at here is like the vibe. Right. Which it's like, so there's like a hipster part of me that's like, it wasn't originally pressed on LP. It came out, you know, 
five years ago no, or just yesterday. No, but if somebody yesterday. looks through my shit and they go, but, holy shit, this is on a record? Yeah, that's the other thing. There's, it's almost cool sometimes right. when it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, it's not just old albums that are on vinyl. So in some ways it's very cool. And if it fits the vibe of, I can hear this coming out of a record player, if that makes sense. Right. Like The I thing also, that really caused me to start debating with myself was the My Morning Jacket album, Circuital. Because I could totally hear it coming on right. out of a record player. And the Gorillaz' first album, which even though there's like electronic sounds and stuff like that, I mean, all that was in the 70s and 80s too. Um, it sounds like I could be listening to it. On, and it'll be cool as fuck if you're flipping through my record collection and all of a sudden it's Gorillaz. Right. Oh shit, I didn't know that Gorillaz had shit on fucking I can vinyl. almost say, like, I will tell you this. I've had a long, long-lived uh, semi-hatred for Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, I think a, most people have gone through that um, love-hate relationship. The audience doesn't know. I'm a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Um, she's a, a little bit older than me, probably. I think she's four years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way that she started and where she is now, um, she's done a lot for herself, but I don't necessarily understand how it got this big because I'm kind of snooty when it comes to the singer-songwriter mega-famous person. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, to in order to be mega-famous and a singer-songwriter, you have your talent lies more in tactic than in songwriting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Your, your talent lies in, I know what's about to pop off with these people, and not, here, listen to this fucking crazy metaphor that's about to blow yeah. your brains out. And I'm so much more on the metaphor side of things. But anyway... So, I kind of teeter though, right? So, with a Taylor Swift album, if it's one that, there's been an album that I was, you know, I was like, you know what, this isn't like, are we out of the woods yet? And all those kind of songs were on it. And it was just, it might have been 1989 or something like that. I think Alexandra has, uh, my wife, she has red on vinyl, I think. Like, all her vinyls are new. All her vinyls are like Taylor Swift, Coldplay, Stuff like that. Coldplay's like, a like good she one. She has a handful of vinyls. It's all new music. Coldplay would be a great one to have. I mm-hmm. want a lot more. I want like Stevie Wonders, which I do not have, and the mega, mega gotta have it. Which one? Donny Hathaway. Yeah, that would be good. Gotta have it. He's not on my list, but. Well, I'm like the only person in existence that even fucking knows him. That's my age yeah. anymore. I don't know a lot of songs by him, but. Yeah, like. Basically, what what really seals something to be on my list is there is there's like two of their hits are on it, right, or one that I like a lot, and then I'm just interested to see what their other music sounded like. So, let me wrap this up just by Michael kind of told you his his you know backstory of why he's wanting to get albums. Um, where I start was you know I always really admired my dad's collection of albums. It's not the biggest collection on the planet, but it is a good collection. It's pretty big. It's though. big, but I've seen bigger. Yeah. Right? So some people are like crazy about this shit. But mm-hmm. he has a good collection, but here's the thing, he's sixty eight. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that was CDs back then. He also has a mega collection of CDs mm-hmm. and a mega collection of cassettes because he lived through all those eras. And he let me have some right. of that shit, which is crazy. People, people our age have to go and find these things and then have a collection of them instead of it just being like the record was the way you listen to shit back then, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, 
I always admired these records and thought they were so cool because I always had that fascination with the 60s and the 70s. And I, I was just obsessed with listening to it the way it was first pressed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got my first opportunity to have a record was, pro- was whenever my friend um, and bass player uh, said, I've got all this chest of records, do you want to look through them? And I looked through them and a lot of them were cool. Some of them I didn't know anything about. They were all old. Mm-hmm. And some of them were messed up, like ripped and stuff, or some of them had crayon on them, things like that. I grabbed what I could that I loved or that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And that's where my record collection comes from. So we uh, talked about records and how some of the people that made them were assholes a uh, little longer than uh, we intended to do so. But anyway, speaking of assholes, it is time for Am I the Asshole? Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the asshole? Yeah, we were picking out intro music and that's how that horn sounded. We both thought it at the same time, so we're like, I guess that's the Am I the Asshole theme song. You know it'd be great if if they had the sledgehammer like Am I the asshole? Oh the asshole. Alright, Am I the Asshole? I'm sure everybody by this point understands what Am I the Asshole is, A-I-T-A, yeah. on Reddit. And we're not the first people to have this as a podcast. And we, won't, we will not be the last. but sure. um, We will we... not be the last holes. <laughs> am I the Asshole for doing Am I the Assholes on a podcast? Even though everyone else does it. So, uh, the way we're going to do this is Madison has found an Am I the Asshole Uh I don't know what you call it, a thread, a question, whatever. She's going to read it. We're going to discuss. After that, I'm going to find one. I'm going to read it, and we're going to discuss. Now, just a disclaimer on this. I am an asshole. Cannot read. (laughs) (laughs) Am I the asshole for not being able to read? (laughs) Um, Or is my English teacher from the first grade? Like It's probably that one. (laughs) So anyway... Um, I, I really stumble over my words, but just bear with me. All right, Michael, are you ready? I'm ready. I know you found a saucy title. That's how you pick yours. I do. It's the best way to go. Um, am I the asshole for making my seven-year-old go to Alcoholics Anonymous? What is your initial opinion? Okay, my initial opinion was, what the fuck are you talking about, Right. Um, but also, like, immediately after that was, I had a similar, uh, childhood and a similar dad that might do something like that, so I right. get it. So, if you were an addict or, or you had problems like that, you might want to have your kid learn the easy way as opposed to learning it by experience. Just, just from our own lives, um, our father is a recovering alcoholic of... Nearly 30 years at this point. I never knew my father as a person that drank alcohol. So right. it's longer yeah. than 25 our, years. Yeah, our whole lives he's never touched alcohol. Oh, you never knew him to drink alcohol either. No, huh? he, so. he stopped drinking, I believe, a year or so before I was born. And Madison turns... Can I tell him? 
29 this year. Yeah, Madison turns 29 this year, so yeah. it's been a very long time. Um, So, yeah, I didn't know him that way. Mom knew him that way for only a very short amount of time, and there's that. But we were raised, I'm sure, like a lot of people that might have um, any kind of anonymous uh, parents or anything with, you know, the 12 steps and all those kind of things being, right, being, (laughs) sorry guys, um, (laughs) not orphans or anything like that, sorry. Alcoholic parents, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, or any kind of. Narcotics anonymous, anything like that. Um, if they have ever been, you know, on that wagon, Mm -hmm. um, eventually you hear, you hear something in, in them teaching you a lesson or whatever, they're going to give you something from the lessons they're learning at their anonymous classes because that's how they get along, especially in the very beginning. So that's kind of what I get from this. Um, but let's let's find out why this particular seven-year-old is being forced to let's go to Let's find out why meeting. I'm almost 29 and don't know how to read. And why are they allowed there anyway? Right. <laughs> Um, all right, so, <clears throat> again, am I the asshole for making my seven-year-old go to Alcoholics Anonymous? I, 31-year-old female, have an amazing son who's almost eight, who is incredibly sweet, well-mannered, and inquisitive, although I guess most parents think of their kids that way. I quit drinking about two months ago and have been adamant about doing the AA program correctly. 90 meetings in 90 days. Sponsor, daily readings, therapy, etc. I really want to be a good mom. That's the right way? Yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it. 90 and 90. Yeah. Jesus. That's what your whole life's got to be about at first. That's fucking hardcore, bro. Addicts are hardcore. We got mental problems, dude. Anyway... Uh, I quit drinking about two months ago and have been adamant about doing the AA program correctly. 90 meetings, 90 days, sponsored daily readings, therapy, etc. I really want to be a good mom and make up for my bad decisions when I was drinking. I never harmed him or put him in danger, but I just wasn't present and am remorseful about my drinking past. Okay. The problem is that I'm a single mom who works full time and I live in a small town. Because it's small, there aren't a lot of options in terms of AA meetings. So the only one I can really attend is the 530 based on my schedule and my son's. His father has him part-time. So on those days, I can I can attend meetings by myself, but on my days, I have to bring my son. I don't have anyone to leave him with, and babysitting wouldn't work because nobody wants to babysit for more than one hour. Or for just one hour, I'm sorry. Well, it doesn't, doesn't pay enough, I guess. Right. It doesn't financially make sense for them. Mm, yeah. Okay. So I take my son to meetings. Naturally, he isn't too thrilled when I have to. Before you suggest that I could do Zoom meetings, I really don't get anything out of them. Zoom AA? Do they do that? That just seems like a ridiculous thing to even give. I mean, maybe during the pandemic was a great thing. Yeah. But I think you're giving somebody too much leeway in the very beginning if they if they if they are not held responsible to show up in person. Yeah. They could I mean addicts are good at making excuses. I can have a, I can have I can have some liquor off screen. I could have it in the coffee cup that I'm drinking while we're doing this. And, and the whole thing is an addict alone is the worst company. So now they're just alone in their house on a Zoom call. 
Mm-hmm. They could just go, oh, the Wi-Fi's down. Yeah. Log, log, log. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. Before you suggest that I could do Zoom meetings, I really don't have anything out of, I don't get anything out of them. I like the in-person connection and atmosphere. My ex, who has never taken my alcoholism seriously and has never actually attended an AA meeting, uh, says my, says I'm TA for exposing our child I'm the to, asshole for doing Oh, that. I'm the asshole for exposing our child to that kind of atmosphere and those kinds of people. Wait, pause. Pause. Uh, that kind of atmosphere and those kinds of people. If if she was in the environment that caused these people to come to AA, maybe. But I don't think being also, in AA meeting... Because that's the last place you're going to find a party. That's the last place you're probably going to find drugs and alcohol for the most part is at a fucking AA meeting. She's not taking them out to the bars or to the raves. She's taking them to a place where everyone is at least trying to be sober. Not to mention, he exposed his son to that when he decided to get this girl pregnant. He indirectly exposed his son to all things alcoholism. And the other thing is... He doesn't take the alcoholism seriously, right? Right, that's Which not means right. that he doesn't think, he might not think it's a problem or he doesn't think it's a real disease or whatever you want to say, but it could also mean that he doesn't think that she needs it and that she's just fine with that kid as is, right? Like, she's just a fine mom. I don't know if that's his opinion on her mothering. I also don't know how long they haven't been together. If you're gonna say that... I don't take it seriously, right? They may have broken up for this because AA people are supposed to be alone. There's that. But, like, if you don't take it seriously, it just seems a little oxymoronic or it seems a little bit like a paradox to turn around and say, well, I don't want my kid around that. Like, you don't even you take don't it seriously. You don't think the alcoholism is a serious issue but you think it's a serious issue for your son to be around recovering alcoholics that are not drinking, at least not at the meeting. You know, recovery isn't a linear process. Some people slip back several times. Right. But anyway, like at the meetings, most people, 99% of people at those meetings are not drunk. Right. And that's, it just doesn't make sense to say that this, the drinking isn't an Let issue. Let going. But the sober people are. Right. What? The truth is, those people are what have saved my life. Facts. They are so sweet and good with my son, and while sometimes the subject matter can be a little adultish, we mostly talk about how we, uh, how to better people and live a better spiritually sound existence and to help our fellow man. I personally think it's good for my son to be surrounded by people that are trying to better themselves and also to let him know at an early age the effects of alcoholism as it runs in my family. Mm. But maybe I'm the asshole and way off the mark and am doing more damage than good. I would like, I would just like outside opinions that aren't emotionally connected to the situation. Am I the asshole for taking my seven-year-old to... AA meetings with some of the topics that are addressed. And then there's an edit. I super... Okay. 
So it's probably just in response to people's comments. Our comments are probably the same as most of that comment section. Um, so we'll just give our opinions because we probably would read the same things in the comment section. There's people her calling tag, her, her tag is asshole. That's weird because sometimes you only get like two comments and then you get tagged that. She's got a lot of comments. I don't think she's the asshole. I don't think she's the um, asshole. Because here's the thing. Now that might... I think this asshole thing yeah. is based on people that have zero idea about AA. And we have that odd oddball perspective because of dad. Yeah, because of dad and our own experiences. But I, I think that um, the only way I could see what she's doing as being something that's inappropriate is it might hinder what some of the group members can talk about. You know, if they're, if it's alcoholism or a drug addiction or something, and it's also tied to, let's say, a sex addiction or infidelity or just very adult-themed things, because it's not you're not just talking about substance abuse at AA meetings, and that's not what the 12 Steps is about. It's about the behaviors that come from that and that shape that, and that's why it's about learning more about yourself and accepting yourself and behaving a certain way, which is why people don't say I'm sober. Like dad says, I'm a recovering alcoholic because it's a day-to-day process because you can stop drinking and still be a fucking asshole. So what really changed? I mean, you don't put that substance in your body anymore, right? You don't partake in that particular substance, but you can still act in certain ways and do the same things that you did when you were an alcoholic. You might still have anger issues. You might still be a dick. You might still be alienated and not have many friends. So the root of the issue, the thing about programs like that and when you approach addiction is that the substance is not the root of the issue. It is what led this person down a road where they had to depend on a substance to feel comfortable with themselves. Right, and that's why, you know, those lessons learned as children with with me and you Mm -hmm. make sense. Because, no, Dad wasn't spouting, like, preach talk about, you know, I wasn't sitting there, like, glugging on a bottle of VOD, you Mm -hmm. know, in my bedroom playing GameCube. Like, it was more like Madison... I see this certain in the middle of the night. Yeah, you get up every night and you sneak something into your room to eat. Uh huh. And what I see in that is that that could turn into something very dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a habit at this point. It could already be some form of addiction or some form of coping mechanism. And I want to let you know that this is what that could lead to. And it could be diabetes. It could be alcoholism. It could be a thousand other things. But these are. This is what is kind of how he showed it off. Now, the way that she says it, I didn't get the vibe. She's like, on occasion, we talk about adult-ish things. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's more of like somebody maybe fell off the wagon and they're here and they cuss a little bit and they say, I went out and I drank and blah, blah, blah. I don't. I don't think that she's going to sit there and let her kids sit in a room where people are like, and I was fucking all these bitches. Uh, and also, it's all about God and all these... Like, you have to believe that there's a higher power. 
That's what it's all about. Because you can't possibly believe that you are the person that is in control of yourself. Because if an addict believes that they are the person in control of themselves, they are going to fucking go downhill quick. Not by any choice of their own, but because they think that they have all the power in the world to stop what they're doing. And it might just be a trick of the mind or whatever, but you cannot possibly believe that in this arena. And it also leads... And the higher power thing is really open-ended. It doesn't have to be any No, it doesn't have God. to be God. But, but the other thing is that... What what you were just saying. Um, repeat yourself real quick. It does, the whole thing about it doesn't have to be... Oh, the, the power thing. The I'm in the power. It's not only that. It's not only I can do this all by myself. When you go down that road of saying that you have full power over the situation... Then when your your setbacks and stuff only come with more guilt and self hatred because Which you just, had all the power you spiral. did all this to yourself so I deserve this it's all and then, spiraling yeah and that only brings you back around right. to using even more right because it's, you don't want to help yourself you have to get to a point where you're ready to accept help and that you want help and you want to help yourself. I think I think honestly that the the down the upvotes for the asshole verdict um have all to do with people not understanding what really gets said in AA meetings where people that weren't grown up around it mm-hmm. what they get to see of it is like in TV shows and movies mm-hmm. um where people are talking about some pretty wild fucked up shit because it's cinema and we're supposed to be interesting and right what can she do she's a single mom she's a single mom she can't find anybody to babysit sorry dad do you want to come take him for an yeah. hour and like i've said when i was i wasn't seven i was probably 11 or 12 i think i went to an aa meeting or two with dad and he read from one of his 12-step books to me and would drive me to school and like tell me stories of when he used to drink and the consequences of that and you know how it feels to hit rock bottom like all those sort of things so as i was growing up i can kind of check myself and my behavior right exactly am i I going down this path i was gonna say that because i actually did go down that exact path Mm -hmm. when i was really young before i ever touched alcohol or even thought about it um probably like 10 or 11, I asked dad what made him an alcoholic. Was he mean? Did he never stop drinking? I didn't understand the concept at the time. I understood what makes you an alcoholic is that you have an addiction to alcohol. Mm -hmm. But past that, I didn't know what made dad an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So he explained that it wasn't that he drank all the time or that he was inherently mean when he drank, but that when he drank, he didn't know how to stop. He would be the last person in the bar, in, in in leaving the bar by himself. All his friends have already gone home. He's leaving with the bartender, locking up, that kind of thing. And that's the thing is a lot of his friends showed up there to hang out with their friends. And it included drinking. Whereas he probably realized, wait, I'm only here to drink because right. all my friends are well, gone. Well, I'm here and I'm, I'm having here. a great time socially. Yeah. But then one day I started drinking. Uh-huh. And not long after, I realized I don't know how to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, to my ver- dad. Very, me. Yeah. A very social uh, situation where it's like, I want to be at the bar. I don't want to be alone. Like, I, could, I don't want to drink with my dinner 
I don't want to just have a glass of wine here in my house by myself. Like, I definitely want to be somewhere if I'm drinking. Mm -hmm. But I will be, I have been multiple times, not just a handful, almost all the time, have been the last person at the bar. And, you know, it got to the point where I was leaving the bar at 7 a.m. and driving straight to work in the same uniform, drunk off my ass, and I was doing that for more than a year. And like dad likes to say a lot, he likes to say God took it from him. Work took it from me because I just didn't have any time anymore and I didn't have the money anymore, right? But that is that is God, right? Or some higher power said, we're going to step away from this. But when I was doing it, I could remember hearing dad, uh, going back to that moment. And going, this is what dad said was his problem. And that eventually caused me to, for the most part, I'm not like on a wagon and never drinking. But for the most part, I do not drink. I don't do anything. I smoke cigarettes. So I'm an addict to to that. And I'm an addict to some extent to um, food. Um, embarrassingly enough, but I guess you can't really be embarrassed by addiction. You just kind of have to fucking figure it out. But... But, you know, those, that's why I say I don't think she's the asshole because I think that if she's got it in her blood, just like she said, it's in the family. That means if it's in the family, he most likely will have some form of addiction in his, in his teenage years, in his 20s, even, you know, he could be totally clean until he's 40 and then some fucking tragedy happens in his life and now he's reliant on something that is not beneficial to his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has that to look back on, these people. So I just really don't see it as an asshole thing. I think, I think first of all, is indir- she literally just has to have him there because she doesn't have a babysitter. You want her to leave him at home alone? No. You know? No, I can't imagine. Now, at the same time, which, what seven-year-old wants to go to 90 AA meetings in a row? Like, the kid's probably like, God damn, this shit again. Every day. Well, Every also, day for a have month of- and a half. I, I just got off of school, and instead of going home, my mom picks me up and takes me to a fucking Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. God! What, you know what? <laughs> Things like that, though, I, was, I really kind of dug. But I also dug it because, like, most of those moments I had a sibling. So I didn't have to, like, be nervous and stuff. Like, I was still nervous. You were a lot more, like, like outgoing than I was. So you would roam the hallways and, and search for things and whatnot. <laughs> and I would just kind of, like, I might sit there. But it, it was also some sort of, at, there was an atmosphere to it, to being somewhere new or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, that's an everyday thing. But I think it would have still been the same. Because we weren't going home. And we knew home like the back of our fucking hand. So mm-hmm. going somewhere different and meeting new people, you know, that are going to have a good opinion of us because we're good little kids just sitting in the corner yeah. type of shit. And, and, and so we we're having a good time. Here's the thing. When we were young, if mom or dad had to bring us to AA, like in this situation, guess who the fuck has headphones ready for us? If anything is an issue. Mm-hmm. Here, you're going to sit over here in this corner, not in the circle with us, and you're going to play your DS, or you're going to play on my mm-hmm. phone with the headphones in. 
That might have been some people's issue in the comments. Like, I don't know. Because here's the other thing about the stamps is I I have submitted an Am I the Asshole post before. It only had like five comments on it and got a stamp. There's also Am I the Asshole post. And the post, it was not the asshole, by the way. Just bragging. But there's also posts that have like a thousand comments and they're not stamped. So I don't know. Sometimes it changes. Sometimes it's random. Sometimes it's, I think, maybe... I don't know how it works. I think maybe a mod comes through and the mod will make the decision. But it doesn't mean that everyone's in agreement or maybe it might not even mean that it's the majority opinion. I really don't know how it works. But either way, I think we've kind of set our piece on it. So, um, guys, you let us know, um, is this bitch the asshole? Because <laughs> I vote no. <laughs> I say not the asshole. Yeah, I vote not the asshole. Damn, this has been a deep one, huh? Yeah. All right, so I scrolled through the titles, tried to find something a little less deep, a little more maybe possibly comical. Possibly. Uh, just possibly. Nothing wrong with deep, but I just wanted to uh, find something that might get a chuckle out of me. So here's the title, all right? Am I the asshole for getting my aunt and uncle kicked out of their house for not letting my husband and I sleep together? <laughs> Okay, 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 let me, okay, okay, let me break this down. Just based on the title. She got them kicked out of their own house. It's not a she. Or he, whatever. Yeah. He and his husband. He and his husband, okay. Yeah. So he got his aunt and uncle kicked out of their own house because they couldn't sleep together. Because the husband and husband couldn't sleep together. Yep. Now that I know they're Where's both... Where's the other person? There's a person that we're missing here. We, we'll see. But but, here, but I'm, what I'm saying is, aunt and uncle's house. Who has authority over them to kick them out? I don't know. But I think that uh, once I looked when you <clears> said <throat> she, I just made sure. Because you know they always have like the very first sentence. Once I saw two M's, I was like... I kind of see where this story is going. Okay, go ahead. But we'll see. I, male, 27, am married to a man, male, 28. He is the love of my life. I had only ever dated women before him, but when I met him, I realized I was bi, and we fell in love. We got married in the fall of 2018, so it's been almost four years. We now live in Vermont. My whole family... Is from a small town in Texas, a super conservative Catholic area. I was raised there, but dad got a job in New York City when I was 15. The culture shock was difficult. We went from living in rural Texas to living in an apartment in Manhattan. Whoa. Living that Seinfeld life. <laughs> My parents didn't sell our house in Texas. They allowed our aunt and uncle, who just had their third child, to move in while charging them a small rent. I see. Okay, so in college, when I came out as bi, my brother and dad were very supportive. My mom needed some time to accept. Need some time. That's always funny. I need some time to accept this truth. To accept the reality of this situation. That's like walking outside and being like, I need some time. I need some time to understand that the sky is blue. I gotta sleep on this. Yeah. Um, The rest of my family reacted poorly at first, 
but came around. During visits, we stayed with my aunt and uncle at my old house. Remember, in the small Catholic Texas town. But because we weren't married, we weren't allowed to share a bed. We didn't argue. We both would rather make peace. Right. So is this that am I the asshole? They just thought of something that happened four years ago and came up with it or... They're know. still upset about it. They're still upset about it. They thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. Out of they, that. They're or... like, every year at Thanksgiving, they bring it up again. And they're like, oh, there's a Reddit thread for this? Mm-hmm. I am giving it to the public to make a decision. But I have another idea about the direction this is going, actually. So we'll see. We'll see if I'm right. Visiting since, instead of staying with my aunt and uncle, we would rent a motel room. During COVID, we did not visit them. But this summer, my parents and brother decided to go visit my hometown again for two weeks and invited my husband and me. I wanted a motel again, but my aunt and uncle insisted my brother, husband, and I stay with them. So at this point, he is his husbo. Right. Hubby. They are married. So there should be nothing standing between them and sharing a bed together since they're married now. Who's sharing a bed together? (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean what do you mean I said it like the name Sharon oh it was stupid I know that now <laughs> there should be nothing between them and sharing a bed together <laughs> we're gonna get that bitch alright the first night sleeping situation was being discussed after my cousins went to bed my aunt and uncle wanted me and brother to take the spare room and the husband and my husband on the couch. You're going to make my husband sleep on the couch? You're going to make me and my brother take the spare room? And you're going to make my husband sleep on the couch. So so it's okay if me and my brother fuck. Madison. Sorry. <laughs> what I'm saying is... We deal with enough of the dirty South jokes, okay? <laughs> Don't make that joke. <laughs> it just gets taken out of context, and it's just that sound clip. Jesus. But, no, I wouldn't let, like, even with my wife, like, which they probably wouldn't have it that way because, oh, she's a lady. I but it's like, you're not going to make my fucking partner sleep on the couch. I just want to know, like, who has the gall? To say that. To say that to someone. Like, and how did the conversation... Oh, you don't mind, Gerald. You don't mind if you sleep on the couch. And, like, who... No, because... They're the that's more, the they're more of a not, guest in your home than yeah, your family I'm is. not comfortable with you two being in a bed together, so you can't. But we insisted that you stay here. I'm going to insist that you stay But y'all can't here, share a bed. But I don't want the gayness that isn't, on my mattress. Yeah, I don't want that particular sin, quote-unquote... Committed in my house if I can help it is basically what they're trying to say. F- fuck you. After you go to sleep, me and little bro are switching spots and we're fucking real hard. We're fucking so we're, hard. We're fucking on the mattress. We're taking the mattress off and fucking on the box spring. Yeah. We're flipping the box spring over. We're fucking on all sides of the bed. We're fucking in the bathroom, on the floor. Come everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. <laughs> So it says... I'm going to shit on these walls, right? All right, so my aunt and uncle wanted me and brother to take the spare room husband on the couch. All three of us took issue with that. They snapped that they were not... That we were not really married because we were gay. What year is this? 
2018? No, it's 2022. Because <gasps> they've been married for four years now. So since 2018. Yeah. And so, and, but. What if the, what if the brother had an, like, took offense to it? Because he was like, I wanted to sleep with Gerald. I don't know. I wanted to sleep with the husband. So we're not really married because we're gay. And that they had children in the house. They're not coming into the bedroom, are they? Bitch, I am children. Yeah, I don't know. No, they're They said that it would be a bad influence on their kids. Then why did you insist that we stay here? If you clearly don't accept us and don't love us, obviously, if this is the way you think about us, right? Why did you insist that we stay here instead of finding a fucking motel? But now that we're here, you want to control what we're doing. Were they planning on killing you? That's fucked up, man. I know that's not his name. I've made a name up, but... This hurt my husband's feelings, and he started crying and ran out of the room. Wow. When my husband ran out, my uncle had the audacity to start laughing. <sighs> that prissy man fucking showing his feelings. Okay, first of all, though, have you ever seen somebody run out of a room crying? Yeah. You've seen them run. <laughs> You've seen them run for their <laughs> life. Maybe. No, I've seen but them it's like... like- I've seen no, them like, but, like but you turn know around why, and walk out. You know why this bastard was laughing. No, of course, but what I'm what I all I'm saying is in a situation where it was us and like somebody like turned around and <laughs> ran yeah. for their life out of a room crying. Yeah. I feel like I might giggle a little bit. Not because I'm in a different situation, in a, but in this situation, we all know why this guy's laughing right. because one of the things that he attributes to gayness is a man that shows his emotions. Right. And this man is being very emotional at the fact that we fucking hate him and think he's a goddamn yeah, sinner. Yeah, it almost seems like a part of a movie. Yeah, he's just a fucking, like, huh, see, that's why, that's why you're fucked up. It's, you're, it's you, you, really, that, it's truly disgusting. So, again, in 2022, like, do you ever leave your fucking home? Have you, like been outside you know what i mean if you watch the tv no all they need is all they need is their bible i guess man so but only king james version only the super edited european and version then, not the church yeah not Texas the original definitely shit. Has some of those so that's when i saw red i would see red too goddamn i started cussing them out cussing them out so loudly that my young cousins came to investigate I told them that if they didn't go apologize to my husband immediately, then I was going to tell my dad what just happened, and I was going to make sure to have them kicked out of the house that was still in my parents' name. My bro seconded everything that I said. Seconded, I said to, but anyway. They started backtracking and saying that we were still welcome in their house, but that we had to follow their rules. I responded that it wasn't really their house. I told them they were going to be homeless if I had my way. God damn, that's brutal. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to be homeless. They're probably going to have the money to go get another I, house. I truly hope that he is using that attitude only yeah. in the right situations. And he's not, like, always like that. Yeah, he doesn't always think <clears throat> housing is a human right. Well, no, not just that, but, like, I'm going to call my dad type of thing. No, probably not. Probably not. But in this situation, it's like... I can see seeing red, like he said, and the audacity to be like, this is our house, you're going to follow our rules, but the fact that this is actually a house that my dad lets you live in and you pay a small amount in rent every month, 
and you insisted that we fucking stay here, but now we have to follow your rules in this house that isn't yeah, you, technically it's yours. Not yours. It's my dad's house, and the way my dad would probably have it is my husband and I share a bed, just like you have to follow my dad's rules and pay rent and keep the house together, but you want to turn around and say... It's your house, and we have to follow your rules. Yeah, who the no, fuck are you? No, you're following my dad's rules. We're going to follow my dad's rules. And most likely, according to my dad's rules, this is not a fucking problem. Right. So, let's see. The kids started crying because they heard me say they were all going to be homeless. So, we left. My husband was on the porch crying. I promised him that I would never subject him to that again. I told dad what happened. To say that my dad was angry would be an understatement. Hell yeah, daddy boy. Because this is, I don't know which one is the, I don't know if the uncle or the aunt is related to the dad. But either way, it's like his brother and sister I think it, treating his son this way. So to say that my dad was angry would be an understatement. He served them a notice of eviction for 60 days. He got 60 days to get your shit and get the fuck that's out. That's generous. And then it's going to be funny if he, lets, if he lets them two live there. They probably don't want to live in Texas, though. I mean, Texas is a big place. There's plenty of places, but not this Definitely. small, no, uber-Catholic right, no, town. No. Not the place. Also, I have been getting calls and texts and Facebook messages from my family calling me an asshole. I want to know, am I the asshole for allowing my young cousins to end up homeless? Is it fair that they have to pay for what my aunt and uncle said to me and my husband? I want to start with, they're not homeless. I feel like your aunt and uncle most likely have the money to find a place. And they have 60 days to find it and get their well, stuff together. Aunt and uncle and two kids, right? Yeah, so they're not, they're not going to be on the fucking sidewalk. And if they are, fuck, them for, fuck that grown-ass man who is living off of his brother... For saying any fucking thing. Like he has any kind of authority. Mm -hmm. Over his brother's children. Like he's got some big old nuts. How about you go find your own fucking place to live. And pay a decent amount in wages. You know whatever. In in rent or in in a mortgage or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. Before you know you're under someone's thumb right now. You look like a fucking little bitch. That's trying to have some sort of authority over something. Yeah, They can go find another house for rent and show... Look, we've been making rent payments. We've been good on our rent for X amount of years. And they can get into another place. If it's a house for rent, maybe even a mortgage, whatever. Those kids are not going to be homeless. So you don't need to feel guilty for that because I don't think that's a real situation. Right. But if the kids weren't there, I wouldn't give a fuck if those two ended up homeless. <laughs> but, but like you said, at the end of the day, it was the fact that they invited them into their home and then did that. They had insisted. Been, right. Had it been that mom and dad said, y'all can just stay at aunt and uncle's house. And aunt and uncle were like, mm, I don't know about that. And then and then they had something to say. At least their story lines up. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, exactly. I just think... Like you said, he's like looking for that little bit of authority because it's like, well, you know, this isn't really a house I bought. It's my brother's house and he gives us a discounted rent on it, right? Right. Um, But yeah, just so much of that doesn't add up. Like, our house, our rules, but actually it's someone else's house, someone else's rules. But the rule that we're going to invoke is y'all couldn't share a bed because you were married. But now that you're married, we're going to say you you're not really married because you're gay. 
the fuck does that mean? So it was it was that all along, but you were just saying we weren't married so we couldn't share a bed together. But now you're letting your real feelings out about what, what it's really about. So don't insist that we stay here if you're going to try to get away with that. Like, did they really think that they'd be okay with it? Also, That's the other thing. Like, where's say... the self-awareness of, like, we're going to have him over here. We really want him to stay. We're definitely making his husband sleep on the couch. And they're totally going to go with that. What makes Here's you think thing. that? But if it was a wife. Yeah. No, she would be sleeping so in the same bed. So you're fine with her germs all over the place, though. You're fine with them fucking. Yeah. If it was a wife. Yes, because they're actually but, married. But gay men germs. Wrong. Sin. Will give me. The gay. I don't the know. The sin. Whatever the fuck That's it is. That's ridiculous. No, but like, again, 27-year-old and a 28-year-old man that have been married for four years. Not, or you're going to tell us that we're not allowed to sleep in the same bed. You don't tell us shit. We're visiting. You're acting like we're little kids coming you over. Insisted. And we got to follow your rules. Right, exactly. No, that's stupid. That's dumb as hell. Yeah, no. And what are you going to do tomorrow if I'm like in, if I come out, hey, Tina and Mark. Yeah, no, I would have fucked right up against their bedroom door. If if I hadn't left that <laughs> I wouldn't have been that bold, but. <laughs> like, but yeah, no, not the asshole. Fuck them. I can see where you're worried about your, uh, your, is it cousins or nieces and nephews? Either way. It'd be, co- it'd be cousins. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would definitely be cousins. But that's not real. I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to find another place to live. It's going to be whatever. They have 60 days to figure that out, and they did it to their goddamn self. Not the kids, but anyway. Not the asshole. I don't think so. If you don't want to get kicked out of your home, don't be homophobic. Oh. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? Right. Now, speaking of playing games, you want to play a game? Is it my favorite? You tell me. We're going to play What Happens Next. Woo! Oh, what happens next? Oh, what happens next? So that's basically been the way that we've been picking our intro song. <laughs> so, what's the cadence? This week's version of What Happens Next is the serial killer version of Ooh, what happens next my favorite genre and it's a genre we're going to be talking about an individual named Edmund Emil Kemper the 3rd that's why he killed people his initials are eek that's why he killed people dude you yeah you're set up for for murder at that point right so he said, my name is Edmund. I'm fucking killing people. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to skip past his little thesis at the top because it gives away the shit he did. We're going to start at the beginning of his fucked life. All right. Do you have a synopsis for me or are you just about to go off a of full on wiki? Full on wiki, baby. Bro, how long is this going to take? It and depends how on f- how many people he fucking killed. All right, but also, you realize at some point I'm supposed to guess. Yeah. No, I'm going to stop at certain points and ask you what you think How oh, like what you think okay. he's going to do. I thought it was just going to be one 
just one big thing. What happens at the end? <laughs> no, 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 no. Different, different. Or just point. any part in in it at all. Yeah, it's it's gonna be several different times that we do that. So, oh my God. see, she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know anything about Edmund Kemper. She doesn't know what his nickname is. I don't want to know anything. Know, she might know his nickname once she hears it. Not sure. So, do you want to know his nickname now or later? Tell me. It's a little bit of a spoiler. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you. I'll, there, this is what this is part of it. This part of the what happens next. What was Edmund Emil Kemper the third? Nickname. Was it A, the Booty Burglar? <laughs> Bootios. B, the Throat Destroyer. Mm. C, the Dazzling Devil. Or D, the Coed Killer. I know about the Coed Killer. Well, I know that that's a real thing. So you know it's a nickname. Yes. So do you think do you think he's the co-ed killer? I think he's the co-ed killer. You're correct. Cool. You win nothing. Nothing. You get to hear his story. So, born in Burbank, California. Vance. Hometown of uh Nickelodeon Studios, by the way. And so many other studios, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but you know, Nickelodeon. Like that's where Rhett and Link. Mhm. Like a lot of YouTubers. Exactly. A lot of movies. So, born in Burbank, California, Kemper had a troubled upbringing. His parents divorced in early life. As a child, he moved to Montana with his mother, Clarnell. Now, how did his mother treat him? Did she? A. Only feed him scraps from the table. B. Burn him on a stove. C, lock him in the basement filled with rats. Or D, never let him watch TV. I'm going to go with C, your honor. All right. His mother, Clarnell, who kept Kemper locked in their basement, which had been frequented by rats. He ran away to reunite with his father, but was left behind in North Fork, California on Christmas Day. In 1963, where, at the age of 15, he, A, accidentally ran over somebody with his car, B, on purpose ran over somebody with his car, C, set his father's house on fire, or D, murdered his paternal grandparents. It's a toss-up between C and D, bro. There's some, like, true crime aficionado listening to this, like, Come on, I know what it is! Come on! <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go ahead and fly through on to D. On to D, murdering his paternal grandparents? Yeah. Alright, he ran away to reunite with his father, but was left behind in North Fork, California. Was on, that right? On Christmas Day in oh. 1963... Where, at the age of 15, he murdered his paternal grandparents. Do we have a reason why? Dad, why are you leaving me? Okay. You, you murdered my parents, bro. Okay, so he left because of that. I thought his dad left, and then he was like, you know what, motherfucker? Your parents are dead now. Well, he ran away to reunite with his dad because his dad left his mom. 
he was living with his dad for a while, but then his dad left him in California. Right. After he killed his dad's parents. Okay. So, following the murders, Kemper was briefly diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia by court psychiatrist and sentenced to the Atasadero State Hospital as a criminally insane juvenile. Hell yeah. Rock on. Released at the age of 21, after convincing psychiatrists he was rehabilitated, he convinced them. He's a fucking genius psychopath. <laughs> Kemper, that's funny the way they put that, you though. Do not, he convinced you, them. I would hate to meet him. Kemper was regarded as non-threatening by his future victims. Oof, that's scary. Those are the scariest kind. Mm-hmm. He targeted young female hitchhikers during his killing spree. Now, what was him his M.O.? Would he... Yes, I know what, his, what M.O. means. I didn't ask you. Oh. I know, what, I know you know what M.O. is. Okay. So, did he hop out of the bushes when they were alone and stab them to death? Ooh. Leaving their bodies out in the open? Yuck. Did he ask them on a date and then go on a date with them? I don't but. think that one's right. <laughs> I don't think... I think B's already out of the question, little brother. <laughs> I fucked up on that yeah. one. Fuck. All right. Did he... shoot them in the forest and bury their bodies? Okay. Or... did he drive them to secluded areas and murder them before taking their corpses back to his home to be decapitated, dismembered, and violated? Okay, so I don't think you're very good at A. <laughs> I'm you... so sorry. <laughs> the apology. Not the apology. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like A, uh, uh, B, mm, C, D. Did he take like, I mean, I could be tricking you. It's that one. It's what? Okay, so. He targeted young female hitchhikers during his killing spree, luring them into his vehicle and driving them to secluded areas where he would murder them before taking their corpses back to his home to be dis- decapitated, dismembered, and violated. Found sane and guilty at his Ooh. trial in 1973. That's, that's punk rock right there. Yeah. Sane and guilty? Mm-hmm. Kemper requested the death penalty for his crimes. Capital punishment was suspended in California at the time, and he instead received how many concurrent life sentences? Was it A, 8, B, 3, C, 2, or D, 10? 8. How the fuck? Yes. Eight concurrent I just, last I've sentences. watched a lot of serial killer stuff, yeah. and it's just like feelings. Since then, he has been incarcerated in the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. You think before they caught him, he was ever just like, you idiots. It's in the name. Like, they literally they called the co-ed killer. It's like, oh, my name's Ed Kemper. It's in the name fucking rhymes, give and you can't that find me. I don't think so. Usually, law enforcement or some tabloid gives you the nickname. It was just a, it was just a, a coincidence. Sometimes they give themselves like Jack the Ripper. 
nicknamed himself. Yeah. Because he kept leaving letters like, You can't find me. I'm cutting out uteruses. Ha ha. I'm Jack the Ripper. Bitch. But usually it's like, I think tabloids do it. Because a lot of time, like, the people that are looking for him, like the, the detectives of the FBI, they like to make a big point of like, we don't want to sensationalize them and give them some nickname. And there, I mean, in a lot of documentaries I've seen, actually, they give them some sort of a name. And it's always, it usually starts off as one thing and changes, but sometimes it sticks from the get-go. Um, and it's a way to make it more known. Mm-hmm. If you give them a catchy name, it will... Like the co-ed killer, for instance, mm-hmm. it'll make people that are in college be more aware that people are killing people. Yep. You want to know something? Um, I'll give you a little bit of trivia. In a terrible coincidence for the people of the greater Santa Cruz region, Kemper and Herbert Mullen overlapped in their 1972 to 1973 murder sprees. Adding confusion to the police investigations and ending with both being arrested within a few weeks of each other after the deaths of how many people? Is it A, 43, B, 16, C, 21, or D, 13? Is this collectively... Between both of them, how many people did each all, of them kill? All the way through their killing career? At least by the time they both got arrested, yeah. 43. No, you finally got one wrong. The deaths of 21 people. Oh, that's not even that many. All right, so we're going to rewind again. Going to rewind again. Edmund Emil Kemper III was born in Burbank, California, as we said, Uh on December 18th, 1948. He was the middle child and only son born to Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper Jr., Edmund Jr. was a World War II veteran who, after the war, tested nuclear weapons at the Pacific Proving Grounds before returning to California, where he worked as A. A plumber B. An engineer C. A mechanic or D. An electrician A mechanic He worked as an electrician Fuck! Clarnell often complained about her husband's menial electrician job. Edmund Jr. later stated that suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. Oh my gosh. And that she affected him more than 396 days and nights. Fight. Oh, and she affected him more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front did. Well, that's because of the way his brain works. Weighing 13 pounds as a newborn, Kemper was a head taller than his peers by the age of four. Me too, bitch. Early on, he exhibited antisocial behavior, such as... Me too, bitch. Such as torture of insects and cruelty to animals. Nope, never mind. Back that statement. At the age of 10, what did he do? Did he... Bury his pet cat alive, dig it up, and decapitate it and mount its head on a spike. Did he fuck his pet cat to death and then chop it in half and try to flush it down the toilet? I don't think we're supposed to laugh at that because Shane Dawson got in trouble for that. Did he 
curb stomp his cat in front of his parents after it scratched him? Or did he feed his cat to the neighborhood dog? I'm going to go with A. I tried to do a better job of disguising it. No, you couldn't. At the age, because there there were so many commas, it kept going. (laughs) At the age of 10, he buried a pet cat alive. Once it died, he dug it up, decapitated it, and mounted its head on a spike. Kemper later stated that he derived pleasure from successfully lying to his family about killing the cat. At the age of 13, he killed another family cat. Why did he kill the cat? Is it because the cat scratched him? Is it because the cat broke something of his? Is it because he just fucking wanted to? (laughs) Or is it because he perceived it to be favoring his younger sister? Okay, that one... Is it is it tough now that I do a good job? No, the last one. What about it? Oh, you, that's your guess? Yeah. God damn it! You're not good at it. I thought I was good. No, you're saying like, is it because he could kill very it it easy them. words? Is it because very easy words? Is it because very easy words? Is it because he perceived it to be favoring his younger sister? So, at the age of 13, he killed another family cat when he perceived it to be favoring his younger sister, Alan Lee Kemper, over him. He kept pieces of it in his closet until his mother found them. Pieces. Plural. His mother also kept him in the basement. So, he would wake up in the morning... I think his mother kept him in the basement after this. After she oh, and the yeah, guy she broke like, up. Uh, dude, fucking She's like, stay away you're a from me. fucking psycho. I'm going to keep you in like, the basement like a Go troll. downstairs and kill all the rats since you're killing all my cats, dude. Kemper had a dark fantasy life. He performed rites with his younger sister's dolls. That culminated in what? Drilling holes where... He thought the dolls' vaginas would be. Burning the dolls. Removing the heads and hands from the dolls. Or burying the dolls in the backyard. I don't see how you could have come up with drilling holes where the vaginas could have been. He's a fucking psycho. That's how. No, I'm saying... I don't know how your brain could have thought of that so fast, and therefore that is my answer. Okay. He performed rites with his younger sister's dolls that culminated in his removing their heads and hands. Oh, good job. You're a fucking freak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me? Fuck. Yeah. On one occasion when his elder sister, Susan Huey Kemper, (laughs) teased him and asked why he did not try to kiss his teacher, how did he respond? Oh, Do it again. I'm still thinking about the drills. All right. So on one occasion, his elder sister, Susan, teased him, asked him why he didn't try to kiss his teacher. His response was, A, because she's black. Oh, not okay. B, because I hate her. C, because I'm not into older women. Or D, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. I really want it to be that one. The D? Yeah. That's it? Yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) 
He also recalled that as a young boy, he would sneak out of his house and, armed with his father's bayonet, go to his second grade teacher's house to watch her through the windows. He stated in later interviews that some of his favorite games to play as a child were hospital and house, hide and seek and tag, I can't keep it fucking together. Scrabble and pin the tail of the donkey. Or gas chamber and electric chair. <laughs> Gee, I wonder. I really hope it's the last one. It is. In which he asked his younger who, who played that with him? His younger sister. Hey, let's play gas chamber. He would ask his younger sister to tie him up and flip an imaginary switch. He would then tumble over and writhe on the floor, pretending that he was being executed by gas inhalation or electric shock. Wow, just a special interest, I guess. He also had close-to-death experiences as a child. Once... He got locked in a basement with a bunch of rats. (laughs) Once when A, he got locked in the basement and bitten by a bunch of rats. B, he ate poison. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what kind. C, C, he broke his back and had to have it surgically repaired. Or D, his elder sister tried to push him in front of a train. That one, because you said elder sister. Fuck! <laughs> yep. All right. But I and almost I'm, three, uh, C was almost there for me. All right. And another time where his sister, A, <laughs> gets her again. I know, but <laughs> I don't think that was the, he just took out the elder part. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> His sister, he has two of them. <laughs> I know. It's it's the same sister. She either pushed him in the deep end of a swimming pool, pushed him in the shallow end of a swimming pool. <laughs> that one's actually worse. <laughs> that would hurt. <laughs> Put him in the dryer. Who? Or beat him up. <laughs> I'm going to go with A. And another, when she successfully pushed him. The first one says she tried to push him in front of a train. (laughs) The next one says she successfully pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool. So she's fucking nuts, too. Or she's like, dude, he's fucking... He he keeps killing our cat. I have to kill this one. I have to get rid of him. He's. I'll leave the little sister, but he is not good. Pushed her into the deep end of a swimming pool where he almost drowned. Kemper had a close relationship with his father and was notably devastated when his parents divorced in 1957, causing him to be raised by Clarnell in Helena, Montana. He had a severely dysfunctional relationship with his mother, a neurotic, domineering alcoholic who frequently belittled, humiliated, and abused him. Clarnell often made her son sleep in a locked basement because she feared that he would harm his sisters. She regularly mocked him for his large size, he stood six feet four inches by the age of fifteen. 
and derided him as A, a real weirdo, <laughs> B, a goofball, no. C, a fucking freak, yeah. or D, a psycho bastard. I really like Psycho Bastard. Kiss, kiss, I'm gonna go with... I'm gonna go with D, just because I like it so much. Okay. But it's probably weirdo. She derided him as a real weirdo. Yeah. In a phone conversation to Kemper's father, unaware that her son had been eavesdropping. Imagine he's sitting there, like, with that's that's what really... Oh, I'm weirdo, I'm a fucking I'm weirdo. I'm a weirdo, I'm gonna cut oh, yeah, people's fucking head off. You wanna see weirdo? Like, that really hurt his feelings I'm gonna feelings kill my dad's parents. <laughs> and all the cats. She also refused to show him affection out of fear that she would turn him gay. I almost said a multiple choice, but that one's a little too obvious. <laughs> and told the young Kemper, told the young Kemper that he reminded her of his father and that no woman would ever love him. Ooh. Kemper later described her as a sick, angry woman, and it had been postulated that he had, that she had borderline personality disorder. At the age of 14, Kemper ran away from home in an attempt to reconcile with his father in Van Nuys, California. Once there, he learned that his father had remarried and had a stepson. Kemper stayed with his father for a short while until the elder Kemper sent him to live with his paternal grandparents, who lived on a ranch in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada on Road 224, about two miles west of the town of North Fork. Why are you telling people's addresses so close to their homes? Kemper hated because they're not alive anymore. I know, anymore. but it's just crazy. Like, I didn't need all that fucking information. <laughs> what if I knew where it was? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like... North Fork, bro. <laughs> Kemper hated living in North Fork. He described his grandfather as senile and said that his grandmother was constantly emasculating me and my grandfather. However, he made friends for a short while with David Mike was David's nickname, Dozier, who lived a short distance away and was about the same age. According to Dozier and his mother, Elena, he stopped spending time with Kemper, whom he called Guy, after A. You ready? Yeah. Kemper punched Dozier in the balls repeatedly every time they hung out. Uh-huh. B. He felt up Dozier's mom. Oh. C, Dozier's cat and his mom's pillowcase went missing. (laughs) Oh, oh. Oh, no. Or D, all the flowers in his mother's garden got dug up. I'm going with C, babe. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy couple things to go missing. Where's my pillow and my cat? Dozier disavowed any knowledge of what happened to the cat and the pillowcase. As a curiosity, he gave his future wife a 50-cent piece that had the eye of the eagle precisely drilled out by Kemper. Mm. All Why right. are they giving this little boy a drill? All right, so we're on to first murders. Man. On August 27, 1964, at the age of 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandmother, Maud Matilda Huey Kemper, when they had an argument. That's a good name. Now, did he storm off and get his grandfather's rifle? Flip the table over and go to his room? Punch his grandmother in the face? 
or grab a knife out of the drawer. I'm going with the the A. He stormed off and retrieved a rifle that his grandfather had given him for hunting. The rifle had been confiscated because he used it to needlessly shoot animals. He then re-entered the kitchen and fatally shot his grandmother in the head before firing twice more into her back. Goodness. His grandmother's last words were, Oh, you gonna fucking shoot me, you little punk? (laughs) (laughs) This is when she saw him coming down the hallway with a gun. Is this a multiple choice? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they're they're sitting in the living room, or they're sitting in the kitchen, screaming at each other, or just arguing about some shit. He marches off and comes back with a gun. Oh, you gonna shoot me, you little punk? You better not be shooting the birds again. What are you doing with that gun? That's that's always the, like, ooh. Wait until your grandfather gets home. Wait until your grandfather gets home. Like, you just wait till he gets home and finds out. Yeah, that one. Oh, you better not be shooting the birds again. Oh, I am the one bird in this fucking house. Some, you. Some accounts mention that she also suffered multiple post-mortem stab wounds with a kitchen knife. Oof. When Kemper's grandfather, Edmund Emil Kemper Sr., returned from grocery shopping, Kemper went outside and fatally shot him in the driveway next to his car. He was unsure of what to do next. So he phoned his mother, who told him to contact the local police. Kemper did so and waited to be taken into custody. After his arrest, Kemper said that, A, he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma. B, got so angry that he saw red. No. C, blacked out and didn't remember any of what happened. Or D, had been planning this for a long time. I just want to know what it feel, felt like to kill grandma. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And testified that he killed his grandfather so he would not have to find out that his wife was dead. And that he would be angry with Kemper for what he'd done. Pretty angry with you for fucking killing me, asshole. Ugh. Psychiatrist Donald Lund, who interviewed Kemper during adulthood, wrote, In his way, he had avenged the rejection of both his father and his mother. Kemper's crimes were deemed incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit, and court psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. He was sent to Adesadero State Hospital, a maximum security facility in San Luis Obispo County that houses mentally ill convicts. Imprisonment. At Adesadero, California Youth Authority psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with the court psychiatrist's diagnosis. Their reports stated that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. They also observed him to be intelligent and introspective. Initial testing measured his IQ at A, 116, B, 136, C, 119, or D, 152. 136. Yep. Over two standard deviations above average. Kemper was re-diagnosed with a less severe condition. A personality trait disturbance. Passive-aggressive type. That's in quotes. 
Later on in his time at Adesadero, he was given another IQ test. Did it come out higher or lower? Higher. It gave a higher result of 145. This motherfucker's IQ went up nine when he was in there, convincing people that he was ready to be let out. He was just convincing people that he was a genius. Apparently, I don't know. Kemper endeared him. He's, dude, what if he's like, no, when I first come in here, I'm going to make sure I get a 136. Yeah, that's And when what I get I'm out, I'm going to say 145. So, like, oh, he got smarter. Some odd, like, cycle of, like, like I, I, I'm really good at convincing people that I am a genius. Mm-hmm. Am I actually, though? Yes, you must. I guess you must be if you're able to convince them that you are. <laughs> Kemper endeared himself to his psychiatrist by being a model prisoner. And he was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. Oh, no. One of his psychiatrists later said he was a very good worker, and this is not typical of a sociopath. He really took pride in his work. Kemper also became a member of the Jaycees while in Adesadero and claimed to have developed some new tests and some new scales on the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, specifically an Overt Hostility Scale. During his work with Adesadero Psychiatrist. So he's like coming up with new theories and shit in there. After his second arrest, Kemper said that being able to understand how these tests functioned allowed him to manipulate his psychiatrists. Admitting that he learned a lot from the sex offenders to whom he administered tests. For example, they told him that to avoid leaving witnesses, it was best to kill a woman after raping her. release and time between murders on december 18th 1969 his 21st birthday kemper was released on parole against the recommendations of psychiatrists at the hospital he was released into the care of his mother clarnell mm. who had remarried taken the surname strandberg and then divorced again probably strandberg to a, I don't know. at 609 a orge street aptos california a short drive from where she worked as an administrative assistant at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Kemper later demonstrated further to a psychiatrist that he was rehabilitated, and on November 29, 1972, his juvenile records were permanently expunged. I hate that word. Expunged? Yeah. Why? I don't know why. The last report from his probation psychiatrist read, if I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any member of society. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expunction that's even worse, of his juvenile records. You just set him up for serial killer success, baby. While staying with his mother, Kemper attended community college in accordance with his parole requirements and had hoped to become A, a police officer, B, an electrician like his father, C, a lifeguard, or D, a veterinarian. A vet. He'd hoped to become a police officer. Thank God. Well, 
Maybe not. Maybe, Maybe not, Madison. Yeah, true. <laughs> Though he was rejected because of his size. At the time of his release from Adesadero, Kemper stood six feet nine inches tall. Do you know how scary it would be to get killed by a motherfucker like that? How scary would be just, just go ahead and kill me. Jesus. Which led to his nickname, Big Ed. Great name. Kemper maintained relationships with Santa Cruz police officers despite his rejection to join the force and became a self-described friendly nuisance at a bar called The Jury Room, a popular hangout for local cops. Kemper worked a a series of jobs before gaining employment with the State of California Division of Highways, now known as the California Department of Transportation. During this time, his relationship with Clarnell remained toxic and hostile, the two having frequent arguments that their neighbors often overheard. Kemper later described the arguments he had with his mother around this time, stating the following. My mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go to fist with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. When he had saved enough money, Kemper moved out to live with a friend in Alameda. There, he still complained of being unable to get away from his mother because she regularly phoned him and paid him surprise visits. He often had financial difficulties, which resulted in A. A period of homelessness B. A period of couch surfing C. Having to live in a shelter or D. Returning to his mom's apartment D. Yes. Returned to his mother's apartment in Aptos. At a Santa Cruz beach, Kemper met a student from Turlock High School to whom he became engaged in March 1973. The engagement was broken off after Kemper's second arrest and his fiancée's parents requested her name not be revealed to the public. The same year that he began working for the highway division, Kemper was A., hit by a car while riding a motorcycle, B, hit by a bus while walking through a crosswalk, C, jumped and robbed by four men, or D, attacked by a vicious dog. I think it's A. He uh, hit by a car while riding a motorcycle that he recently purchased. His arm was badly injured in the crash and he received a $15,000 settlement, which is equivalent to, in 2021, $91,563. In the civil suit, he filed against the car's driver. As he was driving around in the 1969 Ford Galaxy he bought with part of his settlement money, he noticed a large number of young women hitchhiking. What did he do when he noticed this? Did he immediately... Try to approach these women? Did he run all of these women over with his car? Did he begin storing plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car? Or did he... It's C. Yeah, I know. I know you know. I was just like, fuck it, dude. I gotta have my tools! It was the or, is it... That is shit. (sighs) 
He then began picking up young women and A, sexually assaulting them, B, murdering them and dismembering their corpses, corpses, sorry, C, having consensual sex with them, or D, peacefully letting them go. B. What was B? B was killing them and dismembering their bodies. He then began picking up young women and peacefully letting them go. Oh, really? Yeah, he was just like practicing. Like, I could totally just like be peaceful. I, I guess it's totally just like killer. Just but practicing right how to be approachable, I guess. According to Kemper, he picked up around 150 such hitchhikers before he felt homicidal sexual urges which he called his A, murder boys, B, killing fillings, C, little zapples, or D, zonkoids. My killing fillings. He called them his little zapples. Zapple. And he began Why? acting... Why? Because he's a fucking psychopath, Madison. Uh... What did his mom call him? A, a real weirdo. He's a psychopastard. <laughs> and began acting on them. My zapples. Between May 1972 and April 1973, Kemper killed A. 8 people B. 13 people C. 16 people or D. 19 people C. I mean, B. Kemper. Whatever one is the... 13. Between May 1972 and April 1973, Kemper killed eight people, all women. He would pick up female students... Oh, oh, we're kind of like circling back, though. A little bit. Because well, he, he started... He got eight life, life sentences. sentences. Yeah, so that, that's your context. My dumbass. He would pick up female students who were hitchhiking and take them to isolated areas. Where he would A, we shoot them. This. No, no, no. No? No. A, shoot them. B, stab them. C, smother them. D, strangle them. Or E, all of the above. All of them. He would shoot, stab, smother, or strangle them. Oh, uh, any of the above. He would, uh. After he did this, right? Yeah. He would, A, bury their bodies where he found them. B, cut their bodies up and throw them in the ocean. C, dissolve their bodies in acid but keep a finger. Or D, take their bodies back to his home where he decapitated them, performed irumatio on their severed heads. <laughs> Had sexual intercourse with their corpses and then dismembered them. God damn it. is can i guess you can guess right blowies it's fellatio but it's a dead head so they have one for he would cut their head off and fuck it 
with his penis. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, there's a special word for that, but then it said had sexual intercourse with their corpses. I'm pretty sure intercourse, that word means two consenting parties. This is a dead body. Um, so this is in chronological order, by the way, Madison. So it means that he cuts their heads off, fucks the heads, and, and then fucks, fucks the, the headless body, body right. and then chops the body up. He fucked a headless body. A headless whore, man. Madison. These women were not whores. They were murder victims. <laughs> a horseman. Yeah. The headless horseman. Ridiculous. During this 11-month murder spree, Kemper killed five college students, one high school student, and two other people. <laughs> they didn't matter as much. <laughs> Kemper has stated in interviews that he often searched for victims after, A, masturbating, after his apples. B. Getting an erection. C. Having an argument with his mother. Or D. Trying to call his father and getting no answer. Arguing with his mother. After, yep, after having arguments with his mother and that she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where she worked. He recalled, she would say, you're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them. I mean... She saved some lives. Yeah. She definitely saved some lives. I don't know if she was actually that bad. I think that he... Was a fucking bastard and she knew it all along. Was a psycho bastard and a real weirdo. I found pieces of our cat in your closet after you lied to us about the first cat. So now I know you killed the first cat. Right. Let us get a second cat so you could kill that one. And my sister told... Your sister told me about all the freak shit that you're doing with her dolls. Right. You're in and the your basement. favorite fucking game to play is gas, gas chamber, chamber and electric chair. You real weirdo. On May 7th, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley, hometown of Credence Clearwater Revival, by the way. They're not actually from Louisiana. They were not born on the bayou. They are frauds. I know that Berkeley's also where uh, LSD went to school, isn't it? Who's LSD? Lake Street Dive. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. He picked up... No, never mind. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's New England something. Okay. Well, he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiking students from Fresno State University. There were a lot of hitchhikers, bro. Mary Ann... Back then, yeah. Mary Ann Pesky. Pesky. It was a thing to do back then. Anita Mary Luchessa. With the pretense of taking them to Stanford University. After driving for an hour... He managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alameda, with which he was familiar from his work at the highway department, without alerting his passengers that he had changed direction from where they wanted to go. What did he do at that point? Did he pull out a gun and shoot them both? Did he handcuff Pessy and lock Lucessa in the trunk? Did he knock them both out with chloroform and sexually assault them? Or did he tell them to get out of his car and then run them over after they exited? Oof. That one. It was there that he handcuffed Pessy and locked Lucessa in the trunk, then stabbed and strangled Pessy to death, subsequently killing Lucessa in a similar manner. Yikes. 
Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pessy, he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it embarrassed him. Adding that he said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that. Like, I'll fuck your head after you're dead, but I didn't mean to uh, touch your booby while you were alive. I don't know. After grazing her breast, despite murdering her minutes later. What did he do after that? Did he put both of the women's bodies in his trunk and return to his apartment? Did he, B, leave the bodies in a place where they would easily be found? Did he, C, bury the bodies? Or did he, D, take the bodies and drop them off at the police station and drive away? A. Camper put both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken taillight, but the officer did not detect the corpses in the car. Kemper's roommate was not at home, so he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and, and I'm going to stop saying had sexual intercourse because that's not what is going on here, where he photographed and violated the naked corpses before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, which he later abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain. Before disposing of their severed heads in a ravine, Kemper engaged in irrematio with both of them. In August of that year, Pesci's skull was found on Loma Prieta Mountain. An extensive search failed to turn up the rest of her remains or a trace of Lucessa. On the evening of September 14, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old dance student named Aiko Koo, who had decided to hitchhike to dance class after missing her bus. He again drove to a remote area where he A. Pulled the gun on Koo before accidentally locking himself outside of his car. That one. You don't even want to hear the other ones? I know that one. Okay. However, Koo let him back inside... Yeah, because he was really nice about it. Despite the fact that the gun was still in the car. Yeah. I know about that one. Back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her, and kill her. Kimber subsequently packed her body into the trunk of his car and went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks, then returned to his apartment. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car, quote-unquote, admiring the catch like a fisherman. Back at his apartment, he violated the corpse and dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner as the previous two victims. Ku's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, but she did not receive any responses regarding her daughter's location or status. Cindy Shaw. On January... Hold on, hold on, hold on. What? He killed a lot of people. I don't think we need to go through every single one of their stories. I mean, they probably disposed of them all in the same way. Let's see. So there's a lady named Cindy Shaw. He drove her to what area? Find, he sh- find the shot last her with a caliber one. pistol. Find the last one. Oh, I know who the last person he killed Okay, is. well, find the last one and give me three more. What happens next? How about, okay, so I'll give you a guess. Who's the last person he killed? 
I hope it's his fucking mom. You're correct. Hell yeah. Rock on. So on April 20th, 1973, after coming home from a party, 52-year-old Clarnell Elizabeth Strandberg awakened her son with her arrival. While sitting in her bed reading a book, Oh, never mind. She wasn't the last person. She was the second to last person. Motherfuck. So, sitting in her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter her room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Kemper replied, no. Good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep. Then he sneaked back into her room to, A, bludgeon her with a claw hammer. That one. You said bludgeon her with a claw hammer. Well, fine. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and slit her throat with a pen knife. Oh, my God. Now, he then decapitated her and engaged in irrumatia with her severed head as well. Are you serious? Yep. I yes. feel like I knew somebody named Irumatio. Jesus, man. <laughs> now, he did one different thing. Than he did to the other bodies. Did he? A. Kick his mother's head around the house like a soccer ball. Ooh. B. Use his mother's head as a dartboard. No. C. Curb stomp his mother's head no. until it was unrecognizable. Oh, maybe. Or D. Give his mother's head a swirly. A. He used her head as a dartboard. I was wrong. He stated that he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour. That's so scary. Threw darts at it and ultimately smashed her face in. That is so frightening. Imagine he also, that view in a movie or something. Mm -hmm. And you're not insane. You're not so God awfully afraid of this decapitated head in front of you. Mm -hmm. He also, A, cut off her breast and pretended to wear them. B, cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. That one. You're not going to let me read the rest? No. You, you just know now. You're just so smart. I'm smart because you wouldn't have come up with that on your own. I came up with the, I'm wearing her, I'm, I have titties now. Fine. That one's great. Okay, he also caught out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, I can't tell if you're sick or if you're laughing. Both, Madison. I'm sickly laughing. The garbage disposal could not break down the tough vocal cords and ejected the tissue back into the sink. No. No. That, his quote about this event. That seemed appropriate as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. It's a good metaphor. Jesus. It's a pretty great metaphor. Kemper hid his mother's corpse in a closet and went to drink at a nearby bar. Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. Did he kill her next because she would have raised flags? Well, when Hallett arrived, did he stab her to death, strangle her to death, beat her to death, or put poison in her food? 
Hey. Kemper strangled her to death to create a cover story that his mother and Hallett had gone away together on vacation. He subsequently put Hallett's corpse in a closet, obscured any outward signs of a disturbance, and left a note to the police. So he didn't even abuse her corpse, apparently. He just killed her for a cover well, story put it away. Cute, right. Because the ultimate victim was the mom. Right. Everyone else was a surrogate, was practice, whatever. And, 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 and he and finally got it, it all out on his mom. Yeah. So, left a note to police. It read, approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need to suffer for... No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, quote-unquote, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. Oh, my God. So, he wanted... He created... A story that they went away on vacation, but then left a note. Right. Afterward, Kemper fled the scene. He drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to stay awake for the over 1,000-mile journey. He had three guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car, and he believed he was the target of an active manhunt. After not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mother and Hallett when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called the police. He confessed to the murders of his mother and Hallett, but the police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back at a later time. Several hours later, he called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He confessed to that officer of killing his mother and Hallett, then waited for the police to arrive and take him into custody. Upon his capture, he also confessed to the murder of the six students. When asked in a later interview why he turned himself in, Kemper said the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. You were giving me A through D. No, I was just reading it. That was his whole statement. Oh, I thought you said... No, he actually said all that. Okay. So, let's see what else. He was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder. Yeah. Explicit and detailed confession, so his lawyer's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. He tried to commit suicide twice in custody, but failed. Good. Um, and three court-appointed psychiatrists found him to be legally sane. All right, so here's one more, okay? Dr. Joel Fort investigated his juvenile records and the diagnosis that he was once psychotic. Fort also interviewed Kemper, including under truth serum. Now, I don't know the, this was back then when that was kind of seen as like, oh, this will work. It's not necessarily like 100% of the time they're going to tell the truth. So, under the truth serum, did Kemper, A, Admit to killing more people. B. Deny that he had sex with his mother's head. C. Admit to killing several animals while he was also killing people. Or D. Admit to cannibalism. Deny that he had sex with his mother's head. 
Under the Truths, you want that to be the one, right? You want that to be, oh, no, I didn't really do that. Yeah, but it's probably cannibalism. Under Truth Serum and relayed to the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging that he sliced flesh from the legs of his victims and then cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. I don't feel like strips of flesh are very good for a casserole. That would be better for, like, a lasagna. Like, if you're cutting off squares and you make them the layers of a lasagna. Or, like, um... Like a like a bacon sandwich, but it's human. Jesus, yeah, maybe. All right. So, nevertheless, Fort determined that Kemper was fully cognizant in each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of the infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. Kemper later recanted the confession of cannibalism. So, let's see. So California used the monotonous standard, which held that for the defendant to establish a defense on the ground of insanity, it must be clearly proved that at the time of committing the act, the party accused of laboring, a party accused was laboring under such a deflect of reason or defect of reason from disease of mind and not to know the nature and quality of the act he was doing, or if he did know it, that he did not know he was doing what was wrong. Kemper appeared to have known that the nature of his acts were wrong and he had shown signs of malice, a forethought. Mm-hmm. So he took the stand. He testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them, quote-unquote, for myself, like possessions, and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could not have been committed, could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant mind. So he's saying, like, remember... um the, when we were laughing about how I threw shit on the neighbor's roof and if they came over, like, I could, I, I would gaslight them of being like, why would I do that? That's crazy. I why would I do that? Like, I don't know why you did it, fucker, but you did it. Like, that kind of shit. The thing is, is that people don't want to admit that someone sane would ever kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And he's appealing to that. Serial killers. Mm-hmm. People don't want to admit that. Mm-mm. Because that's more frightening than believing that their brain is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I am fully in my right mind. Yeah. And I plan to kill you. And I'm six feet nine inches tall. That is fucking frightening. Yeah. Attempted to convince the jury he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant mind. He said that two beings inhabited his body and that when the killer personality took over, it was kind of oh, yeah, blacking so bipolar. out. Sort of. On November, or like dissociative identity or anything like that, but it wasn't real. On November 8th, 1973, the six-man, six-woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all accounts. He asked for the death penalty, requesting, A, death by electrocution, (laughs) B, death by gas chamber, C, death by torture, or D, Death by lethal injection. Gas chamber. He asked for the death penalty, requesting, quote-unquote, death by torture. However, with a moratorium placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years to life for each count, with these terms to be served concurrently, and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility in Vegaville. A little bit of trivia. He was on the same prison block as Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson. He also showed particularly disdain for Mullen, who committed his murders at the same time. 
and described Mullen as just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Like, I had good reasons to do what I did. Anyway, he bullied that guy. And do you want to guess as to whether Ed Kemper is still alive? No. I think he died in 2002. He's alive. He's alive. He's in his 70s. He waived his right to a hearing in 2012, denied parole in 2017, and is next eligible in 2024. Which he will probably get denied again. He'll probably die soon, too. Mm-hmm. You want to see a picture of him? Sure. There he is. Describe to the audience what you're looking at right now. Um, I'm seeing what looks like... Like a dorky... Fucking Boy Scout leader. Yeah. Um, that's six foot nine. He seems to be one of those people, like, if you've ever, like, seen in the movies or anything where somebody's very, like, oh, hi there, neighbor. Mm -hmm. And then evil. Yeah. Like, will turn around and just hit you with a fucking hammer in the head like, I'll be right back, let me go get those brownies, and then turns around and just kills the fuck out of you. Yeah. That kind of a feeling comes off of him. Um, And he's got like a dad bod. He's got a mustache that has a split in the middle, um, but pretty thick mustache. Um, glasses, swoopy... Uh, hairstyle with um, sideburns, like mutton chops almost. That's about it. I mean, he's really not, nothing to gawk at except like his height. Yeah, six foot nine. Is frightening. And he looks like he's a little bitch. Like he looks like he would bitch all the time. So like him talking about how his mom bitches all the time, I bet it was like both of them together. Now I think we, I am going to defend his fucking mom. Because people like to, you know, the way that someone was raised led to these things or gave someone a mental illness. Psychiatrists deem this man mentally sane, first of all. Second of all, from the time he was young, his mom was right. He was a real weirdo. He killed and dismembered cats. He was fucking around with his sister's dolls. Now he liked to pretend him, to be executed. Here's the thing. Now seeing him, I remember watching a documentary about him. And you've got to go, like, just find a video of him in an interview. Because he, he just sits there like, yeah, you know, I, um, then I got a claw hammer and I, I beat his her to death. voice. He's, just, he's so uh, calm. Like, yeah, it's gross. Anyway. So that was the co-ed killer. That was the co-ed killer. Um, probably next time we play What Happens Next. It won't be about a serial killer. It but might be. It might be. Anything else? No. No. Um, hey, don't uh kill people and fuck their heads. Moral of the story, right? I feel like Don't be an asshole. Something to learn by. Yes. Well guys, if anything, you're gonna have a lot to listen to. Um, I think the podcast went great. How do you feel? I think it went good. Um, 
actually like longer podcasts sometimes, like especially when I'm at work because I work with my car and just getting to listen to it in between deliveries and stuff like that. So I hope that's what you get to do. It might not be good if you're if you work in an office though, right? Unless you have headphones, we'd be cussing and talking about brutal murders and decapitations. Right. So anyway, guys, just let us know um, how you liked it. Give us any tips, tricks, anything um, how, on how to make it better. And, and share it with your friends. Definitely share it with your friends, and we will see you next time. All right.